Hello everyone, welcome back to the Side Hit Podcast. I'm your host, Matt Tony, and today with us we've got Queenstown OG Denny Bevan. Welcome, Denny. Kia ora, Tony. How are you? Oh, good, bro. How's your day been? Yeah, awesome. Nice drive across the uh, across the Crown Terrace and uh, down here to Wanaka. Not too bad weather for a day. How's your summer been? Yeah, it's been really good. Nice, uh, nice weather and a little bit of a break from work and you know, bit of bit of a staycation and veggie garden on. So no, it's great. Yeah, it's kind of. Um been an interesting um, couple of summers without the internationals. You sort of get your playground a bit more to yourself. Yeah, sometimes. pretty pretty much. Yeah, born mm. and raised in Queenstown, so you know I'm used to sort of the tourists being around, and for the most mm. part, it's pretty good. But you know, you just take it as it as it, as it comes. But yeah, it's yeah. quite a lot quieter. Mm. Not as many people on the mountain bike track. So born and raised Queenstown. Yeah, mate, that's it. Actual local. Legit local. Oh, yeah. I mean, that's a rare thing to come by these days. Yeah, most of most of the crew have been pretty, yeah. um, you know, imported. So, uh, you know, born and raised in Queenstown, and spent most of my life there. Travelled on and off, but um, yeah, it's always been the home base, which has been a massive advantage, you know. Yeah, right. So, well, shit, let's talk about Queenstown back in the day then, because I'm sure it's a big. You would have seen um, quite a lot of change in that town from the town you yeah, grew ma- up into. Yeah, massively. Now. Yeah, yeah, it's sort of, you know, exploded. I mean, you know, it's a resort town and mm. you travel around other places in the world to, you know, other resort towns and, you know, it's even more hectic than here, I guess, you know, we're in the middle of the South Pacific. So do you have those moments where you walk around town now sort of and be like, holy fuck, that used to be this and now it's that? Or? Yeah, Kind of. It's actually more like um, when, say, when other people, like, you know, for my job now, you know, selling houses, you know, I get a few people that have been coming over the years and, you know, or, or they drive around and maybe they've only been here a few times and then they, you know, we drive down some just random road that I drive every day and they, like, look out to the lake and just go, oh, my gosh, you know, like, it's just amazing here. Mm. And so that kind of, that's the trigger. You know, yeah, yeah there's, you know, there used to be a wishing well down on the lakefront and, mm. you know, we used to sort of be you know, like skate grommies and building a blast ramp kind of thing. So, you know, yeah. you have a, you know, it's yeah, occasionally reminisce for sure. A lot, yeah, a lot's changed. I guess, you know, it's hard because, you know, people would love it to stay the same, but, mm. you know, progression sort of marches on to a certain it's, extent. It's, um, yes. You know, you guys, prime example here in Wanaka, mm. you know, you've kind of blown up. There were so many sections for sale a few years ago and they've all been they've all been built on pretty much. Oh, it's crazy. And yeah. I think Wanaka tricks you a little bit too because I'm going to use this term very loosely, mm. the CBD in town. Yes. Hasn't changed a lot. That's still exactly, pretty similar. Yeah, yeah, you're right. But then you go for a wee drive, North Lake or Peninsula Bay or whatever. Mm. Like, holy shit! Where did all this come from? Yeah, yeah, exactly. You know, when when North Lake is, we used to do burnouts and shoot <laughs> guns off. There, <laughs> <you know? laughs> Back in the day. Yeah, yeah. Oh, we'll awesome. fire, fire this one up, Danny. Um, yeah, man. How did snowboarding get in the picture for you? Excuse me. Um, you're yeah, well, like you know, born and raised in Queensland. Um, you know, got into skiing pretty young, you know, the mountains right there and really enjoyed that. And, you know, did a bit of racing and stuff, but, you know, like product of a, of a single mum and, you know, mm. spent part of my life on a house bus. So we didn't have heaps of coin and, you know, the skiing kind of, especially trying to keep up with the racing was quite difficult. Oh, so I just sort of said, oh, you know, like, what, what was it, like uh, fresh up race training and then there's like a, it's called Quast, I guess now, and that's all the kind of the racer kids, but I was kind of getting a bit bored of it anyway. So, and then um, actually... The house that my mum, you know, rented, she rented a few other rooms out and there was this one American guy that had, you know, come over from Colorado and he was working at that Yanks snowboard shop, which was like the first, you know, shop in, in town, basically. And so I was like pretty interested and he was like a snowboarder and that must have been like 18, like in like late 80s, 89 or something like that. And so I was like 
pretty interested and then the year following when I was like I was over it so I just you know a young guy had moved down going to the high school he'd moved from Raglan and he was into wanted to get into boarding too so sort of sold my skis and um bought a board you know figured I might as well get into it mm. yeah had one had one go on some crappy like uh crazy banana you know hard boots in a yeah. blizzard because there was only remarks only had like three or two snowboards you know that some euro guide put into their fleet so you know they were always booked out so like you know one blizzard horrible day when no one wanted to use it he let me have a go you know mm. and it was like you know like, oh, i'm surprised right. i was into it after that but and so were you in high school at this time yeah yeah fully yeah. Yeah. so was there a high school program not really for snowboarding like my program truth be told at high school was um toward the end there was wagon school and going up the mountain you know like i figured that i figured life in the mountain were a better sort of active you know teacher um so yeah it was, it was pretty good like i think towards the end like i basically had to go on the skis and i think just at the end they were just starting to do a snowboard program so that right. was like you know at, you know in, in the early 90s it was still sort of like you know um, a bit of a fringe sport. Really. So, what was your first board then? Uh, it was um, uh, snow sticks. Like, is it the snow sticks mini? Like with the the stripes on it, the zebra oh, stripes. Yeah. So, I think it's similar to what Dill had. Yeah, yeah, then. it was. And then it it gave up. Actually, that was when um, the guys were doing like hand cut pipes at Cadrona. I remember going over because I was a full grommy, so I got a ride over, and we spent all day cutting this pipe. You know. And then the following day was when it was we were gonna they were gonna jam on it, or a couple of days later. And um, my snow sticks was at the end of its life, and like I remember sitting there at night, like pop riveting it, trying to just get it to hold together. And then and then the ride fell through, so I was like, oh man, I spent all like this time cutting this pipe and never got to hit it. Yeah. But um, and then there's a guy, um, you know, like I guess you know local influences and stuff, um, you know Dunbar and those kind of guys. But um, this guy John Imhoff, he was an American guy that came here, um, and you know was a real shit hot snowboarder and stuff. You know, I remember him doing one of these you know runs between the two chairs at coronet and you know he was doing it switch he was doing it fakie you know and everyone's like oh my god look what he's doing <laughs> but anyway he brought a few boards over to um like similar to this uh burton air you got on the wall here um he bought a few over and he was trying to sell this craig kelly micro air and he'd been doing, trying to sell it all season and no one was keen to buy it so he basically made a deal like to me and he goes look you can have this board and ride it because like i think you'll improve and you can spend the summer paying it off to me and so all of a sudden I got this brand new board, you know, like, and so the level just At went up. That yeah. time would have been super yeah. cutting edge. Oh, yeah, man. Like, oh, totally. Like, Still you know, uh, no, sadly, yeah. I don't. Like, that was like, I wish I kind of kept my boards, but I was one of those people that sort of sold it to go to the next thing or, you know, mm. get a ticket or something like that. Yeah, I wish I kept so, my first yeah, board. Yeah, same, man. Like, like, totally. But, yeah, yeah. Especially that one. Because that was, yeah, that was the, that first, like, first, you know, most of it's hand-me-down or even BMX was second-hand, you know, that kind of yeah. thing. It was the first new th- new toy I'd ever, ever kind of so had. So we'll go back a minute there. Yeah. Um, so the first day on the snowboard, how was that? Well, that, that little, like, first couple of hours in the blizzard on the on the crazy banana on hard boots and mm. the ski boots was horrible, you know, like, <laughs> I was like, you know, stuff this, like, oh, I'm not, you know, I'm not into this. This is lame. I thought this was all the rage, you know, this is crap. Mm. You know, but then it was more like, actually, I kind of saw the difference between the setups and things like that. Mm. And then, and so then, yeah, the following year, it kind of all sort of happened. You know, me and this this new friend that had moved down from Raglan, and, you know, he's a surfing background, so he was like, oh, you know, that's what you do. You go snowboarding in the mountains. Mm. So, yeah, we just went up there and just kind of 
got into it, I guess. So what was the moment, was there a defining moment that clicked where you're like, fuck yeah, snowboarding's my shit, this is for me? Probably after that, you know, like, you know, someone's thinking about getting into boarding, you're like, you know, you got to give it two or three days, because then you actually, you know, and then all of a sudden, you know, because your progression's quite tough at the start, versus, you know, say, learning to get on skis, you can, you know, sort of avoid falling over reasonably quickly but after about that third day you get in the pocket and then your and then your skills increase you know exponentially and it was that you know probably that first ride up the chairlift after the second or third day and and you know first jump off exchange kind of thing nice you know like you know in first method kind of thing i was like <laughs> okay you know this is this is into it i i did a bit of skateboarding before snowboarding but not heaps right. you know like you know my best snow you know best mate in the sort of snowboarding days dylan he comes from a real big skateboarding background where i was i see i was more ski background so i had a good sense of the mountain and that kind of thing and i was used to being up there but the that sort of i guess that skateboarding influence kind of came through snowboarding right okay yeah slightly different was there any other people was it was there a bit of a snowboard scene happening at the time yes i guess you would have seen the birth of right from the start yeah i saw that that first snowboard shop like that american mm. crew coming over and starting this thing called yanks which was you know the first snowboard shop dylan's big brother worked in there seamus uh, yeah seamus yeah. yeah and so um actually seamus kind of because dylan wasn't in queenstown i was the sort of shop grommy hanging around kind of thing so he was like he was uh i guess always pretty you know rough with his brother dylan so yeah. he sort of was a bit rough with me one time i mean he got me in a headlock and was like kind of <laughs> you know grinding my head and and i used to have a like i used to get bleeding noses real easy so i remember like you know my first experiences with seamus was him giving me a bleeding nose because he was like picking on me <laughs> when it left the shop uh, crying you know grumming yeah. abuse yeah yeah he's like harden up harden up buttercup yeah so uh <laughs> That, and then, and then you know the likes of the NZ shreds and the you know and yeah through those probably two or three years after that you know mm-hmm. there was that first hardcore crew you know like you and Straight and you know um, Graham Dunbar was more Wanaka crew but uh, Rob Johnston and you know and then all of oh. a sudden it just like kind of blew up you know mm. but I was the, one of the only Grommies at the time you know mm. and so I was hanging out with these older how kind was, of dudes how was that being a Grommet around Rob Johnston. Yeah, 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 he was a good bad influence. <laughs> yeah, yeah, wanna, yeah, yeah, yeah. I need to hurry up and get him on. He lives around these parts now. Oh, cool. Yeah, yeah. yeah. He sort of moved away and came back. But um, yeah, yeah you know, all, all of those guys, you know, Ewan and you know, yeah. So then, I guess that um, yeah, that's right. So Yanks transitioned pretty quickly, like name change to NZ Shred, and then that became the mainstay sort of snowboard shop. Mm. Uh, probably for those couple of years, it was still owned by the Reese, um, the Reeses, which was the family. Okay. Um, and so those like I think one of the sons was um, a pro in the states or became quite a good snowboarder. The Brad Reese, I think Reese, Reese, and then his brother was kind of. He moved into the the industry and started doing snowball shops. So mm. that was kind of when everyone was hang, hanging out. You know, that was you know like that was where you yeah. went. You know, oh that's that's rad that you got to see it right from the start, yeah. right through to now. Hundred percent. I mean, I always remember in the nineties going to Queenstown. That it seemed like in the winter, such a vibrant snowboard scene in town. Like you had people doing, you know, like the sub twenty people doing sub 20 and shops that's right yeah visiting pro shreds and it really seemed like this rad hotbed of like cool shit going on yeah well it was really cool yeah Yeah, that that vibe yeah and and it's infancy and you know yeah and it sort of brought in all those different factors the surfing faction the skateboard faction Mm -hmm. you know like myself from a ski background that was kind of bored of the norm sort of thing so it fused everything together pretty well 
and um you know like yeah and there was heaps of growth you know and then you know heaps of women started getting into it as well because you know it was something that they could you know like learn really quite quickly you know sort of thing so yeah it was just you know and the click was i mean you know it's funny because starting it as a fringe sport there was often that kind of judgment because it was different so did you get a bit of attitude yeah yeah quite heaps you know like you know some of those like i actually my father-in-law he's you know comes from a like a hardcore ski family and so you know like bruce grant like was his brother he you know he passed away climbing k2 but you know he was a you know olympian for downhill as was my auntie christine grant and so those guys so they were like a bit kind of judgmental you know the term mm. you know the knuckle draggers or oh you're pushing mm. all the snow off the hill da, da, da. Mm. so like there was you know but then you know soon enough a couple of years later once the ski industry overall snow sports industry realized that this is an amazing ability to kind of grow they were you know sort of patting on the back Some, almost suddenly it's all like what's up eh? yeah, yeah yeah exactly and so you know like all of a sudden you know in the fast forward a couple more years after that and then all of a sudden all the winter um you know um um ads and stuff tv tv commercials that they were filming in, in queenstown they wanted they didn't want skiers they wanted snowboarders mm. as as kind of stunt kind of people you know crazy how massive the industry seemed to get yeah. in the mid to late 90s oh blow up like you know pre yeah pre this uh thing you know like then the japanese kind of crew came as well and then that just you know that was you know people were loving that you know like they just so yeah yeah like like the japanese half pipe army yeah it could drone 100 percent, and then heaps of crew you know queenstown as well Mm. and they were just you know staying the backpackers you know like loaf of bread you know and you know peanut butter and and jam you know for lunch what we did yeah 100 percent. yeah yeah Mm. like that they kind of i reckon yeah they i saw what they were doing you know because japanese people can you know live pretty simply a bit of a bit of a rice ball for lunch and things like that and so yeah and they would just they'd just come and like rent like a couple of backpacker rooms and be like boys and girls mm. or they just sort of you know it was sweet because it was just all their crew in that one backpacker room and mm. they'd come for like two months of the winter and just every single day like rain hail or shine you know they'd be out there it's like my first couple of years working for Cadrona and yeah, it was like yeah. 99 2000 and they would um, rent out the rooms in the campground. We'd all be living in the caravans. Yeah, and yeah. And they were hilarious because they'd be so rowdy and then realise they'd been rowdy and come around and apologise for being <laughs> rowdy. <laughs> like, no, man, fucking get it. Yeah, yeah, but yeah, yeah. They're, they're such good. Yeah, really good vibe. I really like I've got a lot of good connection to mm. Japan, you know. I really remember like Remember when the, um, like the mountain scene was ragging on them and shit? Like, they published... I feel like it was almost a borderline racist article about oh there's Japanese snowboarders coming over and yeah doing the and it's like fuck like we're just doing the same thing when we travel to Japan like living on the smell of an oily rag and shit it's kind of hundred percent yeah I think you know, you know it's like that that attitude needed to kind of change um you know everyone especially in this day and age you know like um you know they try and you know try and be not judgmental but mm. you know there is some stuff sort of inbuilt i guess they just their culture was different you know mm. well, i think um, the, you know the world's probably a bit smaller these days than it was then 100 percent, you know and actually you know like saying then they you know as much as people might have a bit of a whinge about you know like say you know everyone likes to have a bit of a whinge if you're local here and then you know uh, buddy tourists kind of thing but mm. it's like but then also we can't survive without them mm. <laughs> and that was mm. the case man they bought so much yeah. money to town yeah like they like, just pack the place out like i kind of missed them actually like yeah they would like they crowded they crowded the half pipe out mm. but that was kind of cool because on a powder day they crowded the half pipe <laughs> <out>. <laughs> you know it was like sweet you guys go and dig the pipe out i'm fucking going um, over there 100 you know? and i mean yeah and from about the mid 90s like um that became um 
the meal ticket for mm. myself and then soon after that you know dylan and then a bunch of other crew as well all, all um working for a japanese this japanese company that we work for coaching right. you know, and that got me to canada so that that started out um must have been like yeah it was at 90 93 94 was like you know my first little you know, mission a northern hemisphere winter went to japan with one of these older kind of american guys who'd been going there a few years so Whoa. you know he, he set me up to to you know go over and, and kind of japan? help out um around uh, niseko and um actually uh nagoya city christ there wouldn't have been too many kiwis there then no 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 that was like and he was he's like a six foot four american dude with like long blonde curly hair <laughs> kind of thing so he stood out like you know mm. dog's balls but um and then after that um I got approached actually it was just towards the end of my snowboard uh sorry my high school time and um one of the local queensland language schools was starting this program that was like specifically half a day snowboarding and then half a day learning english and their english college was conveniently right at the bottom of coronet Mm. and so they wanted to but they didn't want to do it the normal way like through the mountain they wanted like pro snowboarders yeah. you know and so they approached me um as a as the local kind of boy and um you know and yeah and then i guess you know then 10 years after that or five ten years after that was kind of history I, I started working for them um through coronet actually the first year i was scheduled to start doing this coaching i smashed my arm at the um um harrow's um extreme competition here oh yeah i smashed my like one of my teeth to pieces and broke my elbow oh, so i couldn't no. actually do it so i got one of my mates to kind of go in but I, I managed to do the the springtime doing this coaching. So they'd study English in the morning, and then they'd catch the bunch uh, the bus up eating their lunch, and then we'd take them snowboarding up Coronet for half a day. Right. And then I got wind that they were doing this similar program in Whistler, and yeah. I'm like, you know, send me over there, send me over there, you know, like I'll help you set the program up, and sort of hustled pretty hard and paid for my saved and paid for my fare, and then basically helped them set this kind of sister program up in Whistler. Oh, right. And then so after that. Pretty much like, and then I and then I got to do back to back winters because that was my. And so were you just going to Canada on the three months tourist visa? Yeah, 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 exactly sort of right. And, yeah, hundred percent. Three months, three months tourist, three month tourist visa, and then I'd just skip out and then come back in. I'd just go to Seattle and, and then just come back. Or actually, it was six. They were giving us six months. Oh right. Back in the day, they used to give us six months. And you ended up roping Dylan to that too. Exactly right. Yeah. So I was there, and then it was just sort of blowing up. So I think it was the. I went there the first season was like 95-96 was doing this coaching in Whistler because that was um, when Whistler had a big chair kind of accident and they lost a couple of people and you know like we lost a couple of chairs and you know hurt a few people so that's when um, Whistler sold their mountain to IntraWest which was Blackcomb Mm -hmm. and so you know they became combined so that was the first year I was there, and then the second year, so like ninety six, ninety seven, that was when I met Dylan at the end of the uh, end of the year. So like, you met Dylan Canada, not yeah, yeah, New yeah, Can- yeah, yeah, right, yeah. We I, I already knew Dylan. Like we met very briefly at one of the nationals. I think you know, in his sort of uh, his podcast with you, he sort of said that he'd you know his brother Seamus was like, oh, you should you know come down to Wanaka and oh, you should try and go in the nationals. You know, like, and then Dylan had a, you know, a, a big, like, skateboard and halfpipe kind of background. So I think he, he said he got, like, uh, he made the finals. I think he beat his brother, you know, and that was where I just met Dylan a so, couple so of times. No Gromit? No Gromit division. Section back then. Nah, bro, there wasn't. You know, and I was just like, well, who's this guy? Just like, you know, yeah, just dropped in and, you know, he's a natural from his kind of skateboarding kind of background. Mm. And um, and then we just sort of kept in touch, you know, because he'd just be coming down on the school holidays. So I'd sort of see him in passing a little bit. 
And then I think Seamus kind of left Queenstown, came here to Wanaka. So I don't you really care, you know, it'd just be on the odd occasion. But then, um, yeah, and then uh, Dylan was keen to connect with me and Whistler at the end of the winter season because I think that was when he'd, he'd done one summer camp and then I think he was going to return because, mm. you know, he was, he'd met, uh, you know, a Canadian woman there. And um, and so, yeah, and I the Japanese program was kind of blowing up at that point, so I did need a bit of a hand. Yeah. And so, yeah, he kind of became my 2OC. I was head coach. He was sort of second charge and then... We ended up bringing a few other crew, like um, um, Rich Hunt was there hanging out, um, Toby Buxton from Christchurch, um, you know, and then uh, Lee Rollins and those kind of crew, and it was good. And we also linked up with, we had to grab a, an instructor from the mountain as well, so that was cool. So we kind of mm. become good friends with some of the Canadian crew. Um, Al Clark ended up doing a bit of stuff for sure, us. He's a bit of a Canadian legend, that guy, isn't he? Yeah, Al yeah, Clark, yeah, yeah. So yeah, he he is actually. Yeah, he's yeah. a real legend. You know, right. he came to New Zealand a few times, and he was one of the one of those first waves of pros. Yeah, you know, like there was Al, and then there was like soon after that, the Ride Crew all kind of came here. Mm. You know, like same back in the in the nineties. You know, yeah. and then you know New Zealand kind of. Came onto the map pretty cool. It was a good near the, the near hub. Well, yeah, so it was like, for sure. For a lot of the listeners, and especially a lot of the young guys are listening, can mm. you like put the Queenstown in the mid nineties in a nutshell? There, like, like it was I, like snowboarding, New Zealand snowboarding in its infancy, and it was mm. kind of it was blowing up because I guess it was the hub. You know, there was mm. there was the Wanaka, and there was also you know um, you know um, Alcuni as well. You know, like Dino and that. But, but Queenstown was the powerhouse. Yeah, right? it was the powerhouse. You know, like it was the main resort town. You know, like I guess it, you know the infrastructure was 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 mm. the biggest. So that's when we started having like you know some of the early Burton teams and that kind of thing, and you know. And, snowfall comes and goes these days but it was real consistent back in the day you know mm. and you know um Coronet peak was like super mario land you know like yeah. um you know uh, aj always hissed to that as well you know that was our our home kind of ground and it yeah. was like there was just kickers everywhere you know like 20 30 like solid hits in one run down mm. exchange i remember you know and then the ride crew so um jason ford jake blattner those kind of guys mm. all sort of were, were, were you know I'd sort of cruise down on my normal run and then all of a sudden I'd be like, you know, well, I've never seen that board set up before and I'd sort of have a closer look at them and they were all this crew of pros just like hitting our normal jumps, you know. Mm. Like, and, uh, yeah. I mean, it wasn't uncommon to go skate the vert ramp in those times with like Ranquit and Cardiel and mm. even Danny Way and shit. Yeah, 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 because, yeah, you know. It's crazy. Yeah, yeah, it was wild too. And, you know, it's, it's, I, would, I would hear about that shit in Dunedin. Yeah. Like, be like, no fucking way. Like, you got to one of the older dudes I skated with that went up snowboarding, he's like, yeah, so we just skated the vert ramp with Danny Way and John Cardiel. Like, what? <laughs> you know? Classic. Yeah, and it's cool because, you know, our Kiwi vibes kind of, you know, like movie stars, rock stars, whatever. It's mm. just like, you know, if you're, you're still a human being. So I think they really liked the scene down here. Plus, you know, snowboarding was blowing up pretty big. So we had the advantage of having a good Southern Hemisphere set up. Like, I guess some of those guys were already going, you know, South America and things. But, you know, we still had a good good vibe and you know like you said there was still heaps of stuff to skate and, mm. and that kind of thing so was, uh, back here on coronet like i had some fantastic days there when you get snow to the valley floor oh and, yeah incredible like, it's, it's funny over here living in wanaka and um, people are like oh what's your favorite 
place on a powder day on like Coronet and you get sideways looks because like why aren't you saying TC it's like, uh, yeah. no, if you've had Coronet on the Snowton Valley floor you'll know what I'm talking about yeah like, yeah yeah exactly you know? it was probably five or six years ago now that we got like heaps of rural, like heaps of snow mm. and actually myself my bro- um, younger brother and uh, one of his mates um, Coronet was you know like they were always trying to fix the lifts because there was mm. so much snow yeah so we were just doing ferry missions from the car park to the bottom like shit. yeah man it was like I was like kind of yelling kind of like I, I, I've got some old video of it and that but uh, I was just like oh my god this is like you know the top kind of 100 metres was like like Canada it was like mm. fluffy power and we were riding right down mm. and um, you know the the, uh, the farmer the cocky wasn't that impressed but uh, you know I was just like mate I was just like you know it's the biggest dump of the decade you know yeah. like how can we not do this you know so yeah it was, it was pretty cool but yeah Coronet's uh, a, like, a great home ground and yeah all the Japanese crew all the international and then you know all the it started with NZ Tread Shop and then all the other ones you know uh, BOA popped up and then you know and a few others as well and yeah the vibe was kind of, kind of humming you know did you um, mix or know much about the cavemen the infamous cavemen that did that season yeah yeah so that was um, a crew of uh, actually looking at your wall here and looking at some old the old uh, snowboard graphics and that and uh yeah, one of the uh, so a few North Island crews started coming coming down too, being part of the vibe. You know, surfer kind of background, and you know, like it is sometimes now. Accommodation was really hard to get back then. So yeah, these this crew like um, built themselves uh, basically a, a hut up on Skyline. Mm. So um, and um, actually Transworld, a snowboarding magazine at the time, did an article, you know, called Possum Whacking. <laughs> and so one of the yeah, so one of the um, like editors uh, or you know like you know um, writers. Um, went up he stayed the night he got invited up and you know it was shrouded in secrecy because they didn't want to like reveal it because you know camping out in the bush or whatever and so anyway he stayed up there at night and then you know the story goes you know all of a sudden at night all these you know you heard this you know the, the old possum sound mm. and then all the torches go on and then everyone's got their you know their bloody wax sticks you know and they're just trying to beat this <laughs> get this possum out of the out of the setup and it was really good they had a really good run they stayed there pretty much all year mm. they finally left to go back up north surfing and and mm. another kind of north island crew just took o- took it over from them mm. but at that point everything was getting quite dry and a spark from the fire resulted in you know th- there being a bit of a bushfire you know so oh after that God. you know the council didn't really approve of these you know the, yeah. the snowboard riffraff and was camping that, out in the bush was that cave was that up on the skyline was yeah it was face? technically it wasn't actually a cave someone pointed it out to me like where it was what it was it was this quite really steep bank with a rock overhang above the steep bank and then like one kind of sizable pine tree in the middle of that bank and then they ran like kind of an a-frame like two sort of logs to this pine tree so they basically suspended this thing so that you know the 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 back wall of the cave was the rock and that allowed them to actually put a fire in and run a flue a chimney up there so that you know because they didn't freeze so that they could have a little fire in there but they did a great job and it was real like yeah real real stealth as well you know and it wasn't just you know like you know just a a few steps into the bush you know Mm. it was a decent sort of you know a decent climb at the end of the day get back to this house you know Mm. Uh, it was pretty cool um one of the dudes, Dave Barrell, ended up skating with him a bunch of Dunedin. And yeah, then classic. it sort of came up, this was in the early 2000s, like, yeah. no way, that was you? Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> they, were, they were really good because, you know, most other people would be like, actually, you know, a few years back, you know, some guy, he was on the he was on the TV because of the shortage of accommodation in Queenstown. Mm. He built himself, this young chippy guy, this Aussie guy, built himself a tree hut, you know, mm. you know, and sort of, I think that was one of his, uh, you know, 
pool lines to the girls at the bar, you know, oh, come stay in my tree hut with me, sort of thing. <laughs> and so I was like, oh, you know, it's kind of that recycle of that. But those, the mm. original kind of guys, they were really good. They just kept it real under wraps because, mm. you know, they just wanted a place to sleep. And, you know, that was when was... you just lived and breathed snowboarding. That's all you were here to do, you know, like, you know, you went out for a few beers, but it wasn't, you know, go out all night. It was like, it was getting up early in the morning and, you know, getting the, getting the fresh traps. And there was no Instagram to blow it out either. Yeah, like exactly, that, so. mate. Yeah, 100%. Yeah, that was yeah. probably bordering on before cell phones. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. And um, so with Queenstown in that time, like there's a, like Sub 20, which I've already mentioned, yeah. like had a pretty big um, presence there. Were you rolling around with those guys at all? Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, I was, um, you know, we'd sort of, one of those, you know, would, would partner up up on the mountain, and so you know, because I was I was a little bit like Luca and Deb's the original kind of the founders uh, founders of Sub Twenty. They're a little bit older than me, but then they had their little the crew, you know, mm. uh, AJ and uh, you know um, uh, Legs and those kind of crew. They were just probably a couple years under me, like at school. Right. Um, and so, but yeah, if we were on the mountain, we'd sort of always kick it. Mm. Um, otherwise, they sort of just had their own, their own sort of. Oh, their own crew. I was wondered why um, you weren't. I, I just outside looking at it, mm. I assumed that everyone in Queenstown was on sub twenty. Yeah, yeah, true, true. <laughs> no. No, so right. at, at an early stage, like um, I kind of, you know, figured I was actually doing all right at this sort of snowboarding kind of carry on. So I actually sought out um, some key some sponsors. Like right. it was a shop sponsor, NZ Tree to start with, and then I actually, um, I um, the story goes that uh, I was kind of getting a bit over kind of high school and really wanted to get into snowboarding. So um, my mum would be really good, you know, let me have a day off on a powder day and things like that, you know, powder claws. Go mum. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Actually, she had my half brother and sister, and you know, it was a bit of a struggle street as a mum, you know, so she'd go off your know, house is a bomb site and she'd you know i knew it was dumping and she'd be like you know head, head off down to bed so i'd stay up and i'd like clean the whole house uh head to toe and have the cup of tea waiting for her at 6 30 in the morning you know she'd you know groundhog day drag her ass through the door and i was like here you go she was like oh well, thank you so much i was like can i have the day off school to go up the mountain she goes do whatever the fuck you want you know so so i milked that a few times and yeah. then after that she goes oh you probably should go to school and i was over it so i just used to stash my snowboard gear in the trees uh, in the next section next to us and leaving my school uniform see mum bye you know and then I'd whip into the trees get changed and you know wait till the school bus went past and went up the mountain so um, you know that was kind of that was how I kind of got into it that's pretty classic yeah yeah but I'd come back with like sunburn and that on my face you know and I'd be like oh he goes oh yeah hot day at school was it you know like yeah, so well, was... mums know everything, regardless of how oh, smart yeah, they... you think you are. Uh... <laughs> yeah, they do actually. <laughs> yeah, I'd be in trouble when it would sort of follow me home. So, uh... but yeah, they they were all round and uh, you know, and yeah, you got uh, and uh, Steve Dunstan as well. You know, mm. now uh, sort of half of half half of fame, and um, so he uh, he had his, uh, his dad as Datsun. So yeah. like yeah, he used to hust that up coronet, and you know, so there was like the STS crew, and there was the BOA crew, which was right. Steve. And Ants, I think, originally yeah, was BOA. So he's a Quest guy now. Yes, he is. Yeah, he is Quest. Yeah, and so, um, and I'm just trying to think of a few other crew that were like the BOA crew. But yeah, and then so you know, but everyone, you know, because the the crews were still pretty tight because you know there wasn't that many of us. But you know, everyone just go off and do their own thing. But you know, we're all you know, if we're on the mountain, we'd all do runs together. Did you, you know? kick around with Tony Wollstone? And Paul yeah, Pat yeah, we'd we'd do a few runs together too. Again, same thing. Yeah, you know, Tony and um, Paul would just kind of do their own kind of thing as well but you know mm. same thing on you know I was, you know the old 
it's funny, no friends on a powder day, but, you know, there was still, like, provided they could keep up, yeah. you know. Um, yeah, it's sort of like, hey, you know, we've just done this run, it's epic. And, you know, you exchange notes kind of thing and the, mm. the flurry of activity in the, you know, on the powder morning right. sort of thing. So, uh, you know, and it was just that, that general general stoke, you know. There wasn't any, you know, by no means was there any beef. I don't even think that word existed in our vocabulary. I think there were so, so few snowboarders that... Yeah, yeah. So I remember that time you'd look and see you know, if someone had a Burton sticker on their car, you'd be like, oh, we're kind of friends now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly right, man, exactly right. <laughs> oh, yeah, and uh, that was actually the, that, that triggered back to that um, that wagon school and stashing my gear in the trees, right? And and uh, and I had, a, like, it was a second-hand board, but um, mum found out, and so I had to, and she goes, if you don't, like, go to school every day from now on, like, you can't sit school C because you've had too many, wag too many days to go on the mountain. Anyway, I left my gear in the trees for a, for a wee while. I went back to collect it, and it had been taken. And so I was like, oh, no, I'm gutted, you know. I need to sell that gear to buy a new board next year, you know. Anyway, we got insurance, and it was the first time, I'd, you know, I got, got a new board, and it was a new, it was a Burtonier, one of those black ones. Oh, black. Black top sheet. Black and red, yeah, yeah, like kind of black top sheet around about, did I think it, it was like 90. fly in the fucking... Yes, it did. Oh, yeah. Yeah, you're onto it. One, yeah, yeah, that one. It was around, I think the brushy board was like that yeah, first so kind of year. 93 Burton there. Yeah, 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 there you go. Yeah, yeah. And and I was pretty stoked, but um, that was when, so Coronet Peak was uh, two two main chairs. The main main chair was, it was this old double chair. Mm, with the thing in the middle, the Yeah, yeah, it was a hut. Station. Yeah, there was a mid station, yeah. exactly. And, you know, that was, and... and um, Anyway, I was going up as a grommy, as a, as a, you know, like just, you know, single person catching the lift up. And then um, Murphy's Law is I end up going up with this guy, a- a- Andy Latz. So he was, at the time, was a Burton tester because he goes, oh, you know, I like it, you know, give me props on my, on my Burton setup. And I'm like, what's that? You know, this new, you know, like never seen before Burton. He goes, oh, it's next year's and I, I do testing. And so I was just like, you know on the hustle like you know what are you up to in new zealand and you know do, did some runs with him and that we actually he uh he was here on holiday had a rental car so we we came over to you know to tc and i was a grommy i never got to go to tc you know like i didn't have wheels you know that's a big mission from queenstown oh yeah man you know yeah hard out and so um yeah we did that but then i, I become really good friends with andy lats and um ended up getting onto this boot and testing program Oh, Seamus yeah. Butt was sort of facilitating it in New Zealand, and so that was awesome. That was my first, I guess, entry into a kind of sponsorship, if you will, and it was with Burton. I mm. like figured I was doing a ride at snowboarding, and I'm like, I want to go. I want the be- to go with the best, or I want to ride the mm. best kind of boards. And so that was Burton at the time, mm. um, in my eyes. And so yeah, we uh, and then Andy Latz a couple of years later, he actually left Burton, went back to school, and he became Nixon Watches. Oh yeah. Yeah, so him and one other guy, Chad, yeah, he left school, went back, did a business course, and then yeah, so he he became what what was Nixon, which blew right. up as well. You know? Yeah, so well, I've always associated Burton with Nixon. So yeah, it seemed like they all shared the same team riders. Yeah, yeah, there was that. Yeah, a hundred percent. You know, and there was always that kind of that was probably where that connection came was from Andy. Mm. Um, yeah. So, so. While we're on the subject matter, AJ wanted me to ask you about how Volcom came about. Oh, like for me being sponsored or... Yeah, from the sponsorship side of things. Oh, yeah. Actually, like I was always interested. I always, you know, like, you know, at our time, like Vulcan was a pretty cool company. Same mm. thing. So I was like... And there was... 
not a huge association, but some of like, you know, Terry Hackinson and those kind of guys were sponsored by Volcom as well. Mm. Um, an Aussie crew came over. Um, Marcus Will was one of the, you know, those crew. They were over here doing a, um, um, shooting a video. And I'm trying to think of a couple of other names. Uh, Doug Atkinson, and um, he's like quite a big kind of was in on the judging circuit for a while, mm. and a few other kind of guys, you know, surfy backgrounds. But anyway, they were all here riding, and I sort of connected with them as the local Grom at the time, and about Marcus's age. So I, I was kind of ended up guiding them around, and you know, get, got on the you know I was all about trying to get on the video. But yeah. Marcus was real tight with he was sponsored by Volcom, so I'm like, man, I want. I want to ride for those guys. How do we set this up? Mm. And so I just kind of kept plugging away at them, and that's kind of how it came about through Mark, right. through Marcus, really. And then, um, and then Dylan and me did a bit of, and that combined with um, Seamus was repping them at the time. All right, too. so he'd pissed out from Burton to do Vulcan. I think I think when they when Higher Ground started, I think it was Burton and Vulcan together because you know this is right. in its infancy and you know not not much product going going through their, their books. And so I think it was Guy and uh, Seamus were like kind of together under Higher Ground, but mm. then Vulcan kind of just branched to you know they kind of just went their separate ways and mm. Guy did Burton and then you know Seamus did Volcom kind of styles yeah right um, and so you know like it was through Seamus but then also in my headspace what I was trying to do at that time was trying to I knew that sponsorship would only go so far in New Zealand mm. you know and especially say comparative to Aussie like Aussie Volcom was that much more powerful because you know mm. all that um uh, you know all that the surfing background there's heaps you know the populace is bigger so they were selling more products mm. so they had you know more of a team yeah like their whole skate program's gnarly yeah 100% I actually when I was kind of going to Japan a few times I actually came back and I actually stayed in Manly with a couple of that the, um, Doug Atkinson and Marcus kind of crew I sort of befriended them and I stopped off in Manly and, you know, did some some chefing on the beachfront and, and that's kind of was, you know, actually to sort of try and plug away at that kind of Vulcan contact as well. Mm. And I'd never really surfed being from the mountains. Yeah. So, you know, I went up Manly, you know, got drilled, you know, a bunch <laughs> of times, managed to survive. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, and that's kind of how that Vulcan kind of thing came oh, around, cool. you know. So it was good. And so that was at the time of Vulcan where... Um if you had a sticker, it's like, oh my god, you know someone mm. that's a team rider or some shit, and yeah, you know someone, that know someone. Can I get a t-shirt? Currency, yeah, hundred percent. And so that's how, how Volcom came about. Was it was always demand outstripping supply. Like the original concept was from Cali, California, and he just made stickers and gave them to his pro surfing friends and some of his pro up and coming skateboard friends. And so people were like, what's that? What's that? So there was mm. an interest in a product that hadn't yet been created, and then he come up with t-shirts and you know that was like probably jamie lynn time as well so there was mm. a lot of artists and creatives around at that time as well mm. and so um yeah there's always and then this you know the first like kind of range of shirts just sold out instantly mm. and so um yeah just kind of that was always how how it rolled and yeah the the stickers were only for team members so it was like this mm. kind of little magical uh magical thing actually if uh if once we get to sort of talking about canada i'll tell you a funny story about this Vulcan mm. family association oh, yeah. it was pretty cool that sweet but uh there's a story about uh, counterfeit Vulcan stickers running around queenstown <laughs> Correct, yeah. One of the who shall remain nameless. Um, the uh, one of the store kind of, you know, it was kind of cowboy days. Mm. One of the store kind of owners wanted to get stickers to sell, mm. and um, you know, you can only get them from this, you know, from the team. Mm. And so what he did was a bit cheeky. He actually made a sticker sheet, 
and you know had these sticker sheets of all the different fun of, of Vulcan kind of concepts and that and so he was selling them at the store he um you know like I kind of gave him a word up and he yeah, ignored that so then it you know got to the point where basically they said oh look you know you actually owe our team you know some uh, you know quite a few boxes of beers because you know that's how the that's how we used to do it you know you didn't get paid a seller or anything you get some product quite a bit of product and some stickers and you know, yeah, if you wanted to swap them from, uh, you know, for, for some beers or some other, uh, you know, um, relaxants or accelerants, <laughs> you know, you could uh, sort of do, do, do what you want, you know, mm. barter system was alive and well. Yeah. So, um, you know, I used to swap, the uh, Volcom used to do stickers and then these little plastic diamonds with like stickers, a belt and some other little like small things, you know, a, a bottle opener and that. Mm. And I used to swap it with the guy at the first, um, you know, noodle and sushi shop, Ken's Noodles in Queenstown. Mm. So I used to give him a bit of trade product and he'd hook me up with sushi. Sad. Yeah, yeah, it was rad. Mm. So I loved how punk rock that shit was that they did. Like, I've still got my first Volcom long sleeve, which was the Youth Against Establishment. Yeah, 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 awesome. Um, yeah, they were. Shit, yeah, yeah. I found that the other day. It's pretty moth-eaten now, but... <laughs> I mean, it was it was just a rad time. And was, yeah, they were really kind of almost like, especially because they had such a powerful following mm. and, you know, they were kind of almost could do no wrong. So they were quite fringy almost. Mm. And they had a bunch of creatives, I guess, as well. So they were really into, you know, supporting actual, uh, you know, actual artists and things as well. So that creative element mm. um, was, was there and, and, and that too. So yeah, it was pretty cool. That's like they branched out to like music and all yeah. sorts of shit yeah so, big wow, time they were fucking gnarly yeah they were you know like they you know Pennywise and those kind of dudes were hooked up by them and so yeah there was that it was this really family of you know alternative creatives and especially out of Cali you know that you know faction of the surfers and you know them you know skaters and board at snowboarders they become um, that the artists and mm. stuff as well so yeah no it was a good time for sure yeah oh was there um, <clears throat> some influences on your writing like local or international yeah, so, um, yeah, there was that kind of crew, I guess, um, you know, probably, yeah, Quinton wouldn't come all the, you know, we're a similar age, a little bit older than me, but um, there was the likes of, I always used to really look up to the, I mentioned uh, John Imhoff, you know, he's mm. the one that hooked me up with the first board, but, like, you know, he came over as, as this American kind of guy, and he was a ripper, you know, and he was kind of into a little bit of big mountain stuff and that kind of thing, so he looked up to him a lot, and then, yeah, the, you know, the Dunbar's and, and um, uh um Ewan and Steen and those kind of guys. Oh, Danny Meyer, mm. you know, like uh, my first, you know, I think my first road trip to uh, Porter Heights, you know, in the back of a, you know, um, Holden station wagon kind of thing, you know, um, so, staying next to, you know, some old villa near Hagley Park in Christchurch, you know, and meeting these kind of guys. And I don't even know, you know, I didn't even think there was any magazines then, you know, but mm. I was just like, you know, bright-eyed and bushy-tailed sort of thing. So, yeah, those kind of guys. I actually also hung out with a few people like Paul Lahoon and a few other, um, um, Matt Duncan, these really good skiers because it wasn't always the snowboard kind of crew, mm. um, you know, especially midweek when I was wagging school. Um, you know, so I'd start hanging out with these guys who were a bit older than me and they were mm. like the top sort of skiers because I wanted to go real fast, you know, and I mm. felt myself kind of, you know, like, yeah, you always wanted to sort of ride with better people. That's always yeah. the way to improve, you know. So, yeah, no, they, they were really cool. And then obviously, you know, anybody, any pro that I could sniff out on Coronet Peak, you know, like I remember one time there's the uh, one of the um, jumps called Exchange Drop and then across the valley from there, I call it the spine. I think it got called Oh Shit or something as well. But, you know, like 
that wasn't really used that much and I've seen these pros and I had my line kind of dialed that I was just hitting you know Walkman, Walkman on and, and yeah, cranking yeah Walkman run <laughs> yeah cranking and um and then uh, these guys were hitting this jump and I was sort of like, you know, the landings both come together into this kind of valley. And so, you know, for safety reasons, you know, you don't want to be, hit, hit, you know, landing at the same time. Mm. And so these guys were hitting it. But I just did the, you know, you know, the whistle kind of wave like, hey, God, you know, just making sure the landing was all good. And then kind of, you know, man, I hope I do a good jump. Like these guys <laughs> kind of watching, you know, like, hope, you know, because they were clearly doing massive ears and that. I was like, far out, you know. And, managed to do this you know big boned out front three and landed and i was quietly just like you know chuffed mm. with myself anyway i ripped off and you know gave me a bit of a shocker but then i did a lap again they had all moved across and they were hitting my jump so they were all like yeah cool you know you know oh which way should we hit it where's the best landing and so from that point it was sort of that you know that connection mm. kind of like you know like you said that the crew was small enough that they weren't going to be like you know you could be a super stoked kind of grom and be like oh you know you you know i'm i'm a local boy do you guys want to come on and run i'll show you some jumps and they'll be like yeah man let's go yeah like, no let's hang with the lo- yeah yeah exactly no ego it was yeah. just yeah like you said you see so, someone with a with a board on their feet in the line and you know and there was out of 100 people there was like three borders so yeah like you said you were you know like instantly had this thread of com- commonality you know um so who were those pros um that was um that was like some of the burton kind of guys and I think it was a Burton ride combo. It was Jake Blattner. Um, and um, I'm trying to think uh, who else. Um, it'll come to me in a bit. Like um, a couple of Alaskan kind of riders. Right. They were like, not the brushies and the terriers, but they were like, you know, like international almost B team. Mm. Um, there was a couple of this uh, African-American kind of guy um, who used to, you know, he, he wasn't in the scene for like ages um wasn't quite that time of Kia Dillon it was a sort of a, boy, a wave before them mm. um and uh oh yeah I'm trying to remember now but because mm. it's yeah. rad that I mean it shows the time where you know like say now we've got visiting pros they come they go straight to the park at Cadrona yeah whereas back then they're like shredding the whole mountain yeah man Sidehouse. the whole mountain there was park. no park yeah exactly you know? yeah yes remember when Coronet put the first park in their first park under the triple that's right that's and right I think it was the STS crew had built a quarter or something. So I just remember there was a picture of Tony Howarth like doing a lip slide. Yeah, 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 that's right. Yeah, there was a couple of kind of rails around. And, you know, I remember their first like first kind of like um terrain features apart from the half pop up cardies mm. was like an old tractor tire and mm. um and this post just you know sticking out at a 45 you know mm. out of the hill like that was the rail slide kind yeah. of thing and um and i guess you know i was probably uh i sort of not objected but the park at least coronet wasn't my scene because the entire mountain was the park yeah you know like you know i love hip jumps and side hits and mm. you know and coronet was like you know i had to you know get a, a couple of crew and that and we'd just take you know a little a couple of shovels with us and just fix a tweak a few little lips and then mm. honestly we were doing like you know a 20 30 hits above head height like in one run you know mm. and so we were like milking it you know like did you ever get in trouble with the no hits no um no jumps policy they had for a year or two there kind of but once i you know got to a level where i was uh, to you know be sponsored and stuff and you know was doing all right i guess I always, um, you know, I was really lucky that, you know, like I was doing it right, but I always had these older kind of guys going, man, you know, you're doing real well, you can go places, but remember, it's just 
it's just a sport you know like don't take it too seriously don't get a big ego and then also you know even and a couple of other guys were like you know even if you don't want to be you probably you know you end up being a role model so you know you might be able to pull something off but then the grommy that's following you might cane into someone so mm-hmm. i just sort of always had that in the back of my head and i actually started approaching like i was, I was sponsored by the mountain for a time mm-hmm. plus vodafone plus a few others so i kind of tried to be responsible about it so like i'd find jumps that would be off the run not directly mm. onto the run because i you know i just thought it was irresponsible yeah um and, didn't, and the last thing like i mean you know like you know you have the odd collision or something like that and i'd like remember doing a comp up at cadrona and being this real good mindset and feeling really awesome and you know doing a couple of just doing a lap to keep warm and then just roll you know boosting off some things fucking pumped boosting off something and this kid and his mum were like tracking underneath this ridge line like blind and i just smoked this kid you know and mum's like what are you doing bro? and it just messed my head and i had a real crap run you yeah. know crap comp you know and so like i just yeah so i always try and i guess you know be an ambassador if it, yeah yeah because it does sense. seem like there was a bit of you know we talk about conflict and i think part of it was an unawareness of how snowboarders used the mountain back Correct. then and 100 you know why would you go on the side there when you've got this run here and that sort of thing so, yeah yeah exactly so i remember um seeing like the no hits no jump signs all down the m1 and shit yeah 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 totally yeah <laughs> i mean you know and plus you know there'd be the crew like i'd be like come come down exchange and then i'd be like and they'd just be hitting that main run the m1 kind of warriors yeah. you know and trying to do those jumps and i was like same i was like man you know you're gonna take someone out just come out the back you know what M one was just like you can be seen, so that would be the place. Hundred, yeah, yeah, exactly. And then yeah, there'd be that little sort of, you know, like that's why I wouldn't always want to ride with a massive crew because you'd have to sit there and wait for them. Yeah. You know, you'd rather just like two or three crew, and you'd just be like one behind, one in front, and you just keep, you know, keep lapping. Um, but also the element of, yeah, ends up being my job now. But um, communication was always a real big thing, you know, and yeah. so. I'm a communicator, so you know I'd actually make really good inroads. It'd be you know some guy'd be sitting there with a, you know standing on top of the lip, you know like get out of the way, Dick, sort of mm-hmm. thing. But um, I'd just sort of instead of that, like oh get off our jump, I'd just sort of go you know oh, you know hi you know sort of get his attention. Excuse me, hey look you know that's a real good jump spot for us. You know would you mind just moving to the side and then we can do that jump. And then next thing they're like you know we'll fly off in front of them and that and happy days. And then and this dude comes up all after the good communication. He's like oh that was awesome or mm. you know one of us you know gets his buddy instamatic camera out or whatever you know <laughs> and um and then then that then you fuse that element of communication you know same mm. thing like working with the mountain to go like you know we're not going anywhere it's not a fad it's not just going to burn out in a couple of years like so you know like let's actually work together and, and mm. kind of you know and same thing encouraging the grommies as well was like you know come out the back i'll show you some jumps you don't have to go and like take those learners out you know Mm. so when you say up back was that like back bowls and stuff back like bowls and yeah exchange drop was like exchange the one drop, yeah. and so up coronet you got off the main row your main, main lift and when you you know when you're heading down the mountain it's more towards our town towards mm. the t-bar and yeah it's just like super mario land just roller coaster mm. land everywhere so remember so, there was one yeah. oh jesus and spear yes. change i think i heard about never yep. did yeah yeah and then so yeah oh jesus and spear change and then i told you that story about those visiting pros like mm. kind of you know the next thing they're on my jump and i was like oh, yeah. you know and then yeah all, all that sort of stuff it's just this massive like kind of the gun barrels up tc and things like mm. that but just natural terrain everywhere yeah. man it's like how good was sierra sue before they put the trail down there when yeah. it was untouched yeah it was epic as well unreal, eh? yeah same thing there's just like roller coasters everywhere mm. and you know and you could still 
go out a little bit further out and still get fresh tracks and things like yeah. that. So, as we were saying before, like you know, part of the valley floor. I think August school holidays in '95. I had fucking ten days riding up there back when the twenty yeah. bucks for a lift pass or some shit. <laughs> and uh, and my nana used to drop me off there with a cocky time, and yeah. then fucking pick me up at the end of the day. Oh, and yeah, I awesome. remember it was like seven of those ten days was snow to the valley floor. And I was sessioning fucking Sirisu. Yeah, oh, yeah, so yeah. so good. And there's like a when you're driving up Coronet, there's like a quite a like it's the key sort of hairpin turn, mm. and you used to be able to do little sort of like kind of like the Cadrona Front Country do mm. ferry missions down there as well. Mm. Um, you know, we'd actually do it uh, like sometimes on a full moon at, at night because Coronet was one of the only places around that had uh, night skiing. Mm. Um, and so that was pretty cool. That's always been kind of going, you know. It used to be that to the halfway on the double chair back in the day, and mm. you know, and it's still still awesome to see the the lights, you know, uh, oh, on at night. You know, all the great. tradies go up there in the in the in the week time. You know, I try and take my workshop team over there once a season. We'll oh, good on like you! A, last year, COVID killed it because um, we went into lockdown right when I had it planned for us oh, to go. Oh, stink. <laughs> yeah, but yeah no, it's a good time. It's good vibes up there, eh? And, yeah, uh, yeah, it's cool. It's good know. for your riding too. You sort of have to relax and, you know, kind of look ahead a little bit and not be so, you know, mm. sort of let it, let it ride. And, you know, sometimes it's ice and then sometimes we fucking powder at night time. like, holy mm. shit, this is like the best thing ever. Yeah, yeah, or, um, you know, like with the uh, variable sort of weather these days, you know, sometimes it'll like the freezing will be up and it'll be like this buttery, smooth, like almost spring kind of mm. stuff at night. You're like, yeah. it's epic, you know, so fun. I think we had one, what, 217 we went over there and it was like looking real shit weather. It's like, no, nah, fuck it, we're going. Yeah. Anyway, so just toughen up and deal with it. And it was the best thing we ever did. Like, we only got, like, four runs in before they closed mount because there's this front. But it was higher than... Because we're up at Cadrona, which is a higher elevation. We're getting yep. blown around. We're like, oh. But, you know, the top of the M1 lift, I think, is about the car park height. Yep, that's right. And so that's it was below low. all that shit weather. But it was getting the snow precipitation. Ah. And so we'd, like, get off on the fucking top and look at the shit weather above be like out of it and then it's like oh wow we got powder to ride yeah yeah i've been i've 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 had a couple of nights where yeah it's just like it just happens to clear at like five or six o'clock so everyone's pulled the pin and they're having dinner and you're up there and it's you know you've got the mountain to yourself holy shit this is the best thing ever man yeah no it's fun times for sure yeah Um, it's been great well while we're on queenstown coronets uh i think we might have touched upon this but the sub 20 grams it became quite infamous and the um, snowboarding later on, like Le- Legs and AJ and Barnes and mm. Sam Duvall, like you, they were obviously you guys weren't running around together, but you yeah. would sort of interact with them. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Like you know, same thing. Still that small crew. If we were up there, we'd sort of all go for it. Um, and you know, but they were just a couple of years kind of younger than me. Like they were mm. kind of that next kind of next kind of so group. Like I'm when you're a teenager, two years is a big. Yeah, thing, yeah, you know? yeah. I'd say I'm trying to think exactly how many. Like, I'd say I, you know, I think a few of those they, those guys are having their fortieths kind of now. Like, I'm I'm 45. Yeah. So you know, if it was a few years. Yeah. Um, we're always a child at heart, and so um, and yeah, so we'd often sort of kick around together. But then yeah, they'd be off, you know, causing trouble. Like <laughs> um, you know, like I remember going to the, some of the first, you know, Barrows kind of um, the Nationals rap parties, mm. and then the after party was at Barrows, and that was all sort of sweet as. But I wasn't part of that, like the wave. That was when you know, like 
they we actually had like a uh, you know a, a youth division a grommy mm. division and that's when they were like you know fucking just racking up barrows and just like you know mosh pit downstairs kind of thing mm. but that was just like i just kind of missed that like kind of that scene that that was a good night i remember that one. yeah oh yeah there was yeah they were gone for it yeah yeah that was cool and i was like i kind of like I was kind of grateful that I just missed that kind of slightly rowdier kind of zone. Like, <laughs> but uh, yeah, that was I awesome. just being in that mosh pit, and my dad was just standing back, and he was laughing his ass off at the whole scene. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was a good little cross section of uh, mm. what snowboarding had become. <laughs> yeah, yeah, mm, pretty rowdy. But um, since you put up Barrows, I did want to talk about the. Um, there's one of my favourite pictures ever is actually of you at the big air in Barrows and you're doing a rodeo above the Caltex sign. That's right. And yeah. um, so you frequented that. Were you riding that big air jump from the first get go when they built it over the car and shit? Yeah, so Tony Harrington, Harrow, he had his big mountain comp. Mm. And then one of the events was that, that Barrows kind of scene. And yeah, the first one was his like ford escort panel van um with uh some pallets leaned up against it and that was the kicker yeah you know the kicker wasn't that wide so unfortunately a couple of people i think it was either danny um i think someone um no was it danny it was some someone really hurt their jaw like there was a couple of big accidents on it and stuff Mm. like that was danny talks about the time he goes off Yes. Uh, front three and headbutts a photographer's camera. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was, yeah, yeah, that, yeah, it was brutal, man. Yeah. And so, like, um, but, yeah, that was, uh, yeah, roadies, uh, front roadies and back 180s, but mm. back, uh, back, back 180 methods, you know, <laughs> so, like old school back arch kind of, mm. like, staple methods. So, yeah, that was a good time. That was, uh, that so, was loose. <clears throat> for um, the people, especially for the crew listening now that went around there, can you describe that for us, like, I mean, they were fucking wild nights where the street would be taken over with... Yeah, yeah, totally. That was like, I guess, that was the first downtown big air, like, Mm. event ever. Um, And so, yeah, it was to the sidecar park um, and then going down to that sort of main road by, you know, by where Barrows is. It's a garden centre now, isn't it? No, it's a um, Mediterranean food market. Oh, okay, Med cool. Market, Across yeah. the road from Caltex, yeah. yeah. And so that they had that was the bar that was upstairs and downstairs. The you know American you know that was like he'd bought all his uh, the guy who was like um, emceeing had bought his music over from the stage, which was like gangster rap. Mm-hmm. And so basically, um, like there was a heaps of swearing on it, and then they were like, you know, any more cussing from that speaker, and we're shutting it down to the styles, <laughs> um, and everyone was cutting loose there was like a, a ladder that you had to climb up to the top of the retaining wall and then it was just bomb drop from there um but yeah it was cool like i was like you know yeah like i guess you know the crowd kind of pumped everyone up and yeah it was a good time but yeah, yeah. i don't i can't remember him there must have been but the, the whole thing was packed mm. you know and it was it was pretty loose times yeah a few people wake shit i think there was a few you know people got king hit you know later that night you know everyone was pretty loose yeah, yeah. like you know it was just riggers out in the car park sort of thing mm. so yeah and it was a bit you know um so i remember being back, there for backyard. one of those and again with my old man and and that shit and just like the crowd like like it just shut the road down like the crowd was right across to the Caltex yeah. and people were riding out onto the road and shit 100% yeah yeah and that then, was before you had to have traffic management mm. a tra- full traffic management plan for your event mm. it was just like hey we're putting this on and then same mm. thing I think most people who maybe they 
got their car blocked they were just probably more interested in what was happening than like mm. get out of my bloody way yeah. sort of thing so everyone was just you know wow what the snow the snow downtown yeah well Sam like, DeLol sent me through some pictures recently and it was interesting looking at the sponsorship banners because it looked like the town backed it because it was like sponsored by the Doburn and sponsored yeah. by all these local 100%. businesses like that's fucking cool man yeah yeah and that was what would probably would have been like you know Give us, uh, you know, give us twenty four cream donuts and uh, yeah. and that, and we're in, you know, like because yeah. uh, that's how it was. It was no mm. kind of money, and then uh, exchanging hands, and then you know, because Harrow's comp went, you know, quite well for a good few years there, and so mm. like they upscaled, same location the next year, but you know, that's when like, I think they used a bit of a scaffold ramp and you know those kind of things. But that was always really cool, and that sort of set the precedent for um, you know for future downtown events, whether they were big ears, but mm. the logistics of that, you know. Uh, evolved to being more rail comps because you know you, you didn't need as much snow and you could sort yeah. of control that a bit better and you know like I like doing the odd bloody slide but I'm probably more of a sharp edges carve it up kind of guy yeah. so uh, but that was cool because what happened is I actually got involved with helping uh, coordinate some of those events you know mm. so that was real cool you know from you were, knowledge you were still involved so I remember seeing the switcher of cab 7 off in the Lismore Park yeah 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 that's right yeah I was still into that and yeah that, and that's like they were fucking big events I yeah they were they were massive so one I seen my first season at Cadrona was 99 mm-hmm. was the one where Grinspoon was at the bottom that's right and they had the punch up on, that's on, right over a girl yes because <laughs> we mean, thought we were going to break we thought our country was going to be responsible for breaking the band up yeah because I remember <laughs> I remember um, like the music was cranking like yeah red and then just hearing this gong and I'm like what the fuck is that and turned around as the bass player wrapped his bass around the singer's head and knocked him off stage. <laughs> like, holy that, fuck. Yeah, that's right, because the, the stage was uh, at the top. It was like a it was jump like and then a quarter pipe. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that was, uh, yeah, and that was when those uh, sort of Euros first started turning up. Yeah, they were big events. Mm. Like, that was really starting to feel like, you know, like, we were sort of in the, you know, in the midst of our kind of sponsorship think, and trying to get, you know, into into the international scene. So we felt like rock stars. Because you know, Sam won yeah. that with the front side nine, I that's think. That's right, yeah, he did. But fucking crazy to get this so there was this girl that worked in rentals no the following year 2000 worked in rent in the rental shop mm-hmm. and she's like oh my my we've got this kid who's just crashing on our couch who i in, just entered in the big year and he placed really well so mm-hmm. like, oh wow guess who that was it was fucking nicholas mueller i was like, yeah 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 <laughs> nick mueller yeah he was doing like yeah. he was doing cab sevens cab nine mm. and switch back like switch back fives before and, everyone even knew what that and was he was fucking just crashing on their couch for the season doing the whole snow bomb like we were doing and now he's this fucking thing you know yeah like, yeah yeah exactly fuck everyone got to start somewhere mm. well I it wasn't until like about seven years later that it's like that's the same dude that's doing yeah yeah he right. was just yeah he was the real quiet operator that's mm. right yeah that was the time yeah well, I love those I was always really excited for those comps yeah man fucking so I remember the yeah, Devin Walsh was there like wow, this and this was just at the start of forum. Mm. Just like holy fuck, and then seeing him at the fucking Dobin afterwards, I'm like yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, yes, yes, yeah, exactly. Probably yeah. causing more fights over over woman, <laughs> maybe <laughs> or a pie or both. <laughs> yeah, that's a Wanaka classic, isn't it? The Dobin pie and fight combo at the morning. <laughs> I don't know if they go on there. Cool cross training, bro. <laughs> old school cross training back in the day. Yeah, well, Matt Slocum, who was on here, he uh, used to work the Dobin window during the winters. <laughs> oh, classic. And uh, at night time, and he's like, yeah, to fucking sort out a few of those. Yeah, there's a few <laughs> dudes who, you know, like, 
I mean, you know, everyone used to like to party and have a few beers and that, but, you know, there was a, a, a you know, like for whatever uh, background that they have, they didn't drink, you know? Mm. And so it'd just be funny getting their stories because, you know, they mm. just literally watch people turn into aliens, you know, like, mm. would all get pretty, pretty tanked up. Well, that's kind of my story because I, I haven't... I wasn't a drinker. I quit, oh, yeah, yeah, I quit yeah. when I was like 19. Yeah, you got gotcha. so I was always yeah, around you go, for, yeah. for it. I just yeah, yeah, cool. it when a lot of things people would much rather I forgot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sure. But, you know, Let's take it to we, the grave. We'd still rage even if we weren't. Oh, yeah, yeah, you know. totally. But it's just funny. It's probably the, the memory recall's a little clearer, you know? Yeah, yeah, so. yeah, yeah. It's like, no, you actually did say You're probably that, right? uh, less, like, less as likely to feel as guilty afterwards. Like, oh no, what did I do? <laughs> oh, I still said dumb shit. <laughs> ah, of course you do. <laughs> did you ever come across the whiskey guys? Speaking of wild yeah, yeah. shit. Yeah, yeah. A little bit when they were here. And then um, they were sort of actually, yeah, they started coming here. And they're a Canadian crew, you know. So, like, they started coming here. Actually, yeah, I was starting to go to Canada at that point. Mm-hmm. So then that's when they were coming over. And I sort of knew a few, like, um, you know, um, uh, Kevin Sanzalone and, you know, and those kind of guys that were a little, a little more fringe. They weren't, like, right in the main kind of crew. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, Devin was always coming over. He loved he loved here. He yeah. loved coming here all the time when it was Shorty's crew. And, you know, and actually, um, uh, I'm t- uh, not Chris James, like, he was one of the, he was a Burton rider for a while. He was, like, one of the Wildcats crew. So mm-hmm. he was, um, yeah, he was always over here. We're still pretty tight, you know. Because I remember hearing stories about those two, like Kearns and Johnson, coming over, and it's like, holy fuck, those dudes are gnarly. Yeah, yeah, like, that that was where you know, like yeah. your snowboarding had blown up, and so it was like producing these kind of rock stars, mm. you know, sort of thing. And then, yeah, like most rock stars, you know, there's a fringe of people that are just going to go too far. Yeah, so yeah, that yeah. was those fellas. <laughs> yeah, yeah oh, fuck, they took it pretty far with the party shit. Oh yeah, though they did. Yeah, yeah, cool. There's always a few funny, like, yeah, like, visiting. Like, yeah, for the most part, all the pros were really, really awesome and, mm. you know, kind of um, adhered to our way of life of go hard and smash it but always have an element of respect. And then, yeah. you know, they just, you know, like the odd system getting ripped off the wall at, at an after party <laughs> or, you know, yeah, punch-ups yeah. over a girl or whatever. Because uh, I remember hearing some Red Rock stories that were pretty fucking wild. Yeah, uh, yeah, that was cool, actually, back in... Because, you know, Queenstown Styles was, you know, yeah, there was everyone into it, but there's not as, you know all this huge amount of bars at the moment that sort of disperses everyone there was a few mm. yeah it started out red rock was three three layers yeah so you could kind of get a bit of everything downstairs was pole middle was sort of you know more chatty Is and then upstairs was still raging. the same location that's in there yes correct right. yeah still exactly the same but they had like access to the building next door so right. it was kind of multi-layer and then and then it was winnebago's which is um you know still there now so um, that's the pizza place, right? Yeah, the pizza place with the opening roof. Yeah, I remember yeah. one time, like you know, you know, you know, the beat it started dumping in town, and then so you know, there'd be this kind of division of people who would be like, you know, you know, it's snowing, let's party, and then there'd be other crews like, it's snowing, let's finish these drinks and go home. It's a powder day tomorrow, kind of yeah, thing. But yeah. I remember we were all getting pretty steamy, and they opened that one, uh, that roof, and it was snowing at the bar. So. You know, like, and that's like people, you know, like. It's always cool seeing people from out of town. Like, oh my god, wow, this is amazing! Like those, there's probably still people here in Queenstown and Monica today. You know that mm. came for two weeks, twenty years ago. And you know, moment, like moment like that. that yes. Yeah, you know, I think Brent Screen has a story like that from 10, 12, 10, 11 years ago. That yeah, he got snowed in here and then never left. Called his wife like, hey. <laughs> yeah, I've got an idea. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. This crazy idea. Yeah, yeah exactly. So, uh, so yeah, that that's always pretty funny, mm. you know. So, if you got a visiting pro story from back then, that's 
like a favorite you'd like to share or i think that one of the main things was like, i kind of intimated about the, you know them kind of spotting my jump that you know it was a bit mm. bit sort of fringed kind of jump and then coming back and these guys are all this is epic you know and just kind of asking advice and and getting to tour around with a few a few crew and that's a big compliment yeah yeah yeah, yeah it is yeah, yeah it was awesome you know like and then uh, and another one was you know um, al clark came here when he was on sims and he came here a few times and he's you know i, I always i always it's funny i always clicked with the canadian kind of pros that were coming in here even before i started going to whistler and then right. when i went to whistler dylan and i kind of became the you know the kiwi pseudo kind of you know locals of of the place and so they were always real approachable and men- remember doing runs with al clark when he was here you know between sort of doing shoots and him like yeah oh yeah let's oh let's go down that exchange run um and this one year in exchange there was like these banked turns and they just formed bigger and bigger and by the end there was like six or seven you know like this big snake run yeah big snake run yeah and they formed naturally and like now it takes you know like for a bank slalom you gotta you know cut it and shape it and these just these snake runs is just sort of you know get each each sort of weaker there'll be another turn kind of Mm. added naturally but i was like let's do that whole run let's do all of exchange uh switch and i'm like oh well okay so just following our you know this super pro following him down you know like riding everything switch switch method you know like that was you know like to try and make it look like a normal method was you know was kind of the thing yeah yeah it is you know like and uh and so yeah that was i guess a bit of a highlight and just i guess being the local and being pumped on getting to show people around you know i just remember that snack run and riding it and having so much fun and then coming back next year and being like, yeah. Where's, like how's that not there? Like, yeah. You know, I didn't get it. Like, 100%. You know, yeah, and, and showing like, people, yeah. yeah, showing people that jump run or, you know, like that jump run down exchange and, you know, all, all, all those hits. And even, you know, because it's a small mountain, you know, especially to these visiting pros and they're like just kind of shaking their heads at the bottom going, man, that's like, mm. it's like my motorbike my motocross track at home kind of thing it's just like boing boing just jumps everywhere coronets are a really deceptive mountain because of yeah. its elevation you sort of have these expectations but actually when you get to the top and then it's not even getting on rocky gully t-bar mm. so much fucking terrain yeah yeah it's real undulating yeah 100 percent. yeah and it's like a foothill yeah. so it's not really like mountains and also the other element is it doesn't need as much snow to operate because it's mostly mountain grasses and things mm. and you know and then you know, fast forward some years and paragliding around, looking around, and now mountain biking around the same kind of terrain, mm. and it's sort of, it's just, it's pretty cool to see it with, I guess, different eyes, mm. but it's still got that really, you know, the mountain bike's blowing, uh, mountain biking's blowing so up there now, you know? They've got a few tracks up there now, aren't they? Heaps like, of tracks. Yeah. Heaps of tracks. There's a real cool one called Corotown, and it goes from the T-Bar up Coronet, and yep. all the way down to Arrowtown. Right. You know, so that's oh, cool. Yep, and then there's all right. these other, um, you know, like um, all these other ones, like about halfway up Coronet that link to the bottom of the mountain. It's like Rude Rock and Yeah, Rude Rock, yeah, your Hot Rod, all that stuff. And then I actually seen, um, I bought a, um, a Suron um, like e-dirt bike recently mm-hmm. and loving that, you know, like I was a grom that didn't have a heap to loot, so I got a BMX on yeah. a motorbike, you know, but now I can buy my own. So that's anyway, I've got cool. this and um, I'm cruising around... Uh, uh, near Coronet, and there's all these other tracks that have been cutting in. There's going to be this massive delta of kind of enduro tracks from Coronet. As you look from the from the base of the mountain up to Coronet, mm. Coronet on the right, it moves towards Arthur's Point, and there's just this delta of tracks, and they also feed off. At the bottom of Rude Rock, uh, you've got um, Skipper's Canyon, and mm. so there's a few tracks heading off down there. So they're right. just 
everywhere man like Sweet. yeah it's really cool and that's you know re- really awesome when everyone's got their you know their, their, their downhill bike or their um, e-bike or whatever you know because mm. it's interesting like being at Cadrona mm. in summer and seeing the terrain mm. you know the difference in terrain in winter for summer and like fuck it that's what's in the landing or yeah 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 know? it's quite interesting eh? <laughs> yeah, actually yeah. Years, it was years, a few years ago. One of the mags, Transworld mag, they did this big feature, and it was, and they actually went back in the summertime, and they mm. took these exact same photos, and it was like all double page spreads, the snow, and some shoot, and some pro like bombing the shoot, and then what it looked like in the summertime. Mm. And it was must have been like about ten photos featured like this, and it was incredible, you know, like mm. going to, you know, get, having the pleasure of going to Canada and getting an early season and seeing all these logs everywhere, and then you know, two or three meters of snow later, and you're like, whoa, it's gone, yeah, you know, like it's crazy, yeah, yeah, yeah it's amazing how much snow they get. Oh, I did want to talk a little bit about the comp scene in the nineties. Yeah, because it was a bit of a different vibe than now. Because mm. um, um, you were pretty prevalent in the comps back in the lot. Like, uh, 90s or yeah yeah we you know we went um went pretty hard i think it was end of the 90s i was like you know got the one that um, nationals pipe and you know did pretty good in a few of the coronet big ears and stuff like mm-hmm. that and so yeah it was cool it was like it was that real you know it was a comp so you wanted to do well because mm-hmm. wanted to you know get sponsored or you know try and you know better your sort of career or whatever mm-hmm. but um it was also a real good time that you knew everyone was going to arrive you yeah. know you intimate you know the canterbury crew coming down and you know trevor and you know roy uh, you know uh, roy hawthorne and you know trevor ponning and mm-hmm. um you know nils and all those kind of you know so you'd, you'd be like oh it's, it was you know to go and hopefully ride a good, you know, a freshly cut pipe at Cadrona, but also it's connect with the crew. It was fam- yeah. it was family, yeah. You know, so you know stuff that you might not see. You know, people like Dylan and, and that. So he was from the North Island. So you know, at least I knew there was a strong chance of connecting with those guys at the con. Mm. You know? So it was a good gathering from the whole country. Yeah, yeah, well, yeah, pretty quickly, yeah. especially when it was you know like the nationals yeah. or something like that. You know, that was all sort of all go. Mm. Yeah, no, it was a real good scene and. You know, and you always knew because you know, like they tried to do the upkeep, but you always knew that it'll be a fresh, you know, especially a half pipe, mm. like because it would be fresh cut and it would be the best condition, mm. you know, and and you know, um, you know, sometimes you wouldn't really get, you know, that would be the best chance to to practice something if you were feeling good. Maybe you'd try and get that front five in the pipe to be a seven, or you know, yeah. do something, something, just push yourself a little bit more. Yeah. So yeah, no, it was it was cool. Yeah. Because, um, like, a lot of the crew now is, like, can't believe me when I tell them that the you know, Coronet actually had two pipes. And yeah. And Cadrona had, like, four. And it was 100%. Crazy. Well, that was, like you said, that was, that was off the back, probably, of, um, you know, a very different scene now. But, you know, off the back of that um, Japanese half-pipe army. Yeah. You know, like, build it and they will come. And so, especially, you know, Cadrona, I've always got a lot of, I'm a Queenstown boy and love Coronet, but... I always admire and look up to Cadrona because they got it from the start. You know, like mm. they cut the first pipe. They were always supportive of of snowboarding themselves. But then they had you know Ewan and those kind of guys working in there from early sort of early time and in Dunbar now as well. You know, with the mountain biking even. But they mm. get it. Yeah, I'm always a big fan doing marketing and people who get it. Yeah. And so they were you know ahead of the ahead of the curve a little bit. So then you know and then the um, even the a bunch of the Japanese guys who were coming to Queenstown, you know, they all wanted to be half pipe pros and we didn't really have much of a half pipe. So some of them would just be bussing every day to Cadrona and they'd buy a Cadrona pass. Yeah. And then and then that moved from that they came to Wanaka instead of instead of Queenstown. Cause, and so yeah, and that's you know, before you knew it there was three pipes all all packed. 
yeah. You know, like all all chocker. Um, but then I was blown away when I seen like say the Nationals in the early two thousands was being held at Coronet, mm. and my initial reaction was fucking what like because yeah. I was always used to it, and then I actually seen the the pictures and the magazines from that was like oh wow well okay they get it too now like, yeah yeah that that was when everything started to we made the yeah, people were making the shapers you know before they mm. had like the spinners on them and you know the monster kind of big pro shapers you see mm. now. Um, but these were like blades, you know, that they'd mm. cut the pipe with. And they actually, Coronet actually employed a guy from Whistler to come over, Yannick um, Rowan, and he was sort of doing the pipe there kind of thing. And they were really, you know, mm. they didn't want to, it's like, you know, it took a while for them to kind of accept snowboarders into their kind of clique, you know, on the mountain as mountain users. Um, but then we weren't going away. And then, yeah, the Japanese army kind of, kind of rolled in. And so they kind of, actually wanted to get in there and cater for it mm. you know the 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 pipe at coronet was always maybe a little bit smaller plus the other thing about the nationals was i guess that element um to move it around yeah you know yeah. like it had to kind of be moved around mm. so if that possible. Time i didn't understand that yeah 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 100 yeah. percent. yeah exactly and that's kind of what you know i guess because you know i think that was the thing well if it's the nationals and i mean you know like sweet for me if it was it could you know if it was at coronet every season because mm. i just hitched on the mountain whereas you know like if it was i think one year they did it in the north island kind of thing mm. you know to just yes mm. spread the love around and um so were you there when um legs jumped off the chairlift i know yep. i've talked about this a bunch but it just fucking still blows my head off that yeah, he yeah. did it and survived. 100%. Right. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, so, like, yeah, and I remember listening to some of your other podcasts, and, and so, yeah, the, the, the triple chairlift line, the old one, used mm. to go right up over the half pipe, and it was at this kind of perfect angle that at one stage it aligned perfectly with the lip of the pipe, you know, mm. but you had to get it on the money. It was this pretty hefty acid drop, mm. you know, and, um, yeah, and one time he just was like, yep, yeah, boom, just dropped on in. <laughs> um, so yeah, that was pretty cool actually. Yeah, I think he tried to time it to be part of his run. Yeah, I think that was the big thing. He was like, yeah, yeah. you know, they were like, you know, like it's your turn to drop, and he's like, yeah, I'm here, I'm here, kind of thing, you know, like mm. I'm, I'm coming, you know, sort of thing. But uh, I don't know if they counted it or not. <laughs> I don't know. That's just still one of those ones where I was like, well, I finally know someone that's jumped off a chairlift and survived. Etched, like, yeah, etched into your, etched into your memory. Yeah, um, and it's just yeah. amazing. No one documented it. Yeah, but yeah. I think you know. I, th- I mean, that was probably cameras and shit. Oh, uh, that was yeah. The old Instamatic. The Instamatics mm. were good because you just have them in your pocket, you know, like mm. so you can just smash them and whatever. But and that was about that same time. That was when the Japanese crew were like they were the better guys. They were entering the comps and stuff. But, you know, we'd be, like, really want, you know, rooting for our friends to do well. And, oh, they'd have a slam. And go, oh, no. And these Japanese kids were like, yeah, go big or go home to their mates. And, like, mm. that's when they'd just do these kamikaze, like, one-hit wonders. Like, just go, like, 10 foot in the air and just flat deck and then explode. And then their mates were like, yay! <laughs> you know, laughing their guts out. Like, you know, it was so. such a cool attitude. <laughs> so that who was, was um, so there was a period there in the, um, I guess, the early... <laughs> Early two thousands during half pipe comps where um it was kinda of like you, Dylan, AJ that were sort of fighting amongst each other pretty a much lot for like the top place. Yeah, I think yeah, that was pretty on yeah, I competed pretty closely with AJ uh, over a few big years and yeah, and then pipe and stuff as well. Mm. Um, yeah, it was all pretty close. It's sort of it's one of those things, you know, like everyone, you know, on on, on a day, Quentin as well, you know, mm. like 
um, and and you know um, Trevor and a few quite a few other kind of crew as well. Actually, JMS, you know, he was you know <laughs> politely yeah, right. get, getting a little bit older, but still hold, still holding his own. Like you know, he was really good at inverts and that. Mm. Um, Dunbar and those kind of crew as well. So yeah, it was just one of those things. You know, everyone was for the most part kind of close. But then yeah, I guess you, me, Dylan, and AJ were probably the younger of the crew. Yeah. So yeah, then we started. You know, because I think it was just this time where it was in the mags. It was like first, second, or third, and it was like, well, yep. it's either going to be one of the, it's going to be these three guys in some sort of order. Yes. Like I'm an outside looking in, but it yeah, really yeah, that was. Like that was the case. And that was kind of, yeah, in the end of the 90s when it was also when, um, you know, I was pretty committed to wanting to get into it. So we'd started doing the spring missions up to uh, Awakuni. Yep. And I just loved it up there because it was like awesome springtime. I mean, you know, you might sit around for a few days, um, you know, waiting for the weather to clear. But then there was just, it's completely different terrain to down mm-hmm. here. You know, and I was just like kid in a candy store, like building jumps, shooting photos and doing some of the comps and that as well. So like mm-hmm. that was... Yeah, super cool. But yeah, for a while it was, you know, that was my, you know, main yeah, sort of competition. Some pretty good spring competitions up at Rupert. Yeah, yeah, they, yeah, they did. Yeah, they did. Yeah, they did. And that was really cool. And yeah, I was just mm. out in the, you know, out out west. Like, um, I got this cool. It ended up being the Burton demo poster, but um, it was that big quarter pipe hip jump. Yeah, the Johan board. Yes, exactly. Yeah. That flame Johan board. I fucking love that. Shit. Yeah, I know. I was yeah. always so there was a time also because I was like you know comps and that and then. You know, and then that was, you know, watching uh, what the dudes were doing overseas. That was when the likes of the Craig Kellys and stuff like that started transitioning from comp to photos. Mm. And that's when there's more and more mags, you know, because their sport was blowing up. So all these mags were starting up and getting, you know, big support. And so they were flourishing. And so I was like, right, photos. And actually, I'd was sponsored by Burden and I'd managed to, it was really hard to get any money, mm. you know, coming from, you know, the middle of the South Pacific. But I managed to secure a photo incentive. And right. so if I could get photos in magazines, and so I just had this, and there was some good photographers kind of coming up, so I who, just... Who took that shot of that? Uh, Stan Hill. Oh, it, yeah. it is one of my favourites. Yeah. Period. That's yeah, yeah, I, I was shot. pretty stoked. A guy actually grabbed that from Stan. He goes... Uh, he wanted a good image for the demo poster that was going to go in all the shops and that. And so he nabbed that photo. But at that time, um, I'd been, you know, I guess on the scene for a while, but I'd never got a, um, I'd never got a cover of New Zealand Snowboard Magazine. Yeah. Whoa. I've never had a cover. Fuck all that coverage. Thanks, Phil. No, just all good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) And so I, I kind of, it was, became a little bit of a, you know, like a bit of a bee in my bonnet. You know, I was really like, you know, just, I mean, you know, whatever. But um, I guess, you know, everyone's got to have drivers and that was kind of my driver at the time. So mm. I would organize the photo shoots, come up with where we were going to shoot the jump. I've, you know, was into photography at high school. So, you know, got a bit of an eye because, you know, there's a bit of a balance with, you know, you got to, the jump's got to be good. The rider's got to be on point. The photos, you know, the light's got to be right, blah, blah, blah. And um, yeah, sometimes like aligning planets, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, bro, exactly. And so, um, yeah, so I just got right into it and I'd get the crew and, you know, and so the North Island was really good because, you know, it was summer, I mean, spring. So, you know, the weather was, you know, when it was stable, it was great. You know, it was a great opportunity to shoot photos. And so we just ended up, I got one of the groomer drivers actually. Uh, um, who was it? It was um, uh, Dan um, and um, um, Matty Groob. Um, Dan Fountain, nice. Matty Groob and those kind of things. It was mainly those two boys. 
and um, I hung with them because they were like the North Island kind of pro dudes at the time. Mm. So I just buddied up with them and we organised the groomer and he pushed this um, kind of wedge in this big gun barrel and then we spent a couple of days shaping it because I, I just wanted this massive hip because mm. I wanted some separation between me and the snow, you know, like yeah. to try and get a good photo, you know. And so, yeah, we shaped up this jump and we were just like attacking the thing. So That's it was rad. so rad. And it was so cool because you could just get on the T-bar after hitting the jump and just go straight back up. So we were just bombing this whole valley. And so, yeah, I was pretty stoked. But I was also, I was chuffed because that was good exposure, that shot. Mm. But also it was this little like, man, I'm pretty sure that would have been the cover. But But it got taken for. Yeah, yeah, it got taken for the thing, Mm. which was rad. Like, you know, I was stoked. But then that was like, you know, yeah, a a real sort of focus uh, of of trying to get as much footage as possible for Mm. the cover. But just, and there was likes, especially Stan Hill. And there was a couple of other photographers, but I teamed up with Stan pretty tightly. And we would just, you know, pretty much once a week we were going out shooting photos you know i think he was responsible for like 90 percent of the images in new zealand snowboard yep. in the 90s yeah he like, was yeah phil was shooting himself but then stan you know like that's why we were organizing because he wanted to mm. you know um accelerate his photography career you mm. know and in, in sports so mm. and he's actually you know he lives in aussie now and he's like a real i think you know real good you know fashion photographer right. so he kept stuck with uh st- stuck with oh, photography because cool. i've been going through the magazines and yeah. it's like yeah pam bell ollie b quint yourself yep it's like all of it's like oh photo stan hill <laughs> yeah man yeah yeah he was on it like mm. yeah, he was on it when you sort of moved to a more photography based sponsorship thing yeah you were still doing the comps as well you sort of yeah yeah on. still doing the comps so i guess i I left school and pursued, you know, snowboarding was on mm. the cards. And so, but I was always in the back of my mind, I was like, I kind of want to move through these layers and, you know, like, mm. like with was, life, keep learning, you know. And so I was just getting, you know, a little bit, I guess I was also following what the other pros were doing, which was transitioning from comps to shooting photos. And then the, so soon after that was video. Was there many other Kiwi pros doing the sort of photo side of things starting to do a bit like you know ollie i always looked up to ollie quite a lot you know like actually we did this mission to aussie together you know like early on like we went to do a comp there you know Mm. he was a few years older than me but same thing i really loved the style and you know like had you know like and so that translated you know style was always you know will always be you know really really key in our sport and so like watching him and quentin but especially him he's had a real powerful style so that translated to photos really well mm. and same thing he got it yeah. you know like the, you always could tell the people who like knew you know like it was real hard to try and get good photos because you know like sometimes you'd have to learn how to how to jump switch because you don't just want it to be a big butt shot, yeah. you know, kind of thing. So you'd have to, again, those balances. And so those kind of crew, like, we did a good photo shoot. Actually, it was when um, that uh, that massive um, Ollie Rewind at Mount Hutt, um, he did an interview in the oh. Snowboard Magazine. It's a real, real yeah. cool shot. Actually, you know, like... Um, it yeah. still sticks up now, there. Oh, yeah, yeah, it was right. And everyone's like, yeah, yeah, you look at it a bunch. So, and because he's goofy, right? And so... Um, how I would learn, like from the pros overseas, and also I remember doing it with that shot specifically. I was like trying to understand that rewind element, you know, mm. body sort of, uh, you know, muscle memory, and so uh, to be able to see the um, like sequence correctly as a regular natural footed rider, mm. um, you have to hold the mag up in the mirror. 
Yeah, right. And then, then you could see, like, that's how we used to do it, to learn. It was all, like, sequence shots was real key because you could see what they were doing. Mm. And then, yeah, you'd hold it in the bathroom mirror and look at it, and then it would you'd read it as a regular writer. So yeah. I remember doing it with that shot. Yeah. But I was yeah. there when, when we shot that because Stan had organised that photo shoot. Him and me travelled up, and then we met those boys at Mount Hutt. Right. I mean, that's... I remember seeing that. Yeah. Um when I the first time I seen that I cannot believe you can go that big and do that it's so tech and yeah and it was also good as well because Ollie's not a little dude you know like you see some stuff like Mm. some of the um, Mark Frank Motoya and a few of those guys like that Mm. you know these pros and they're pretty little dudes Mm. and so um, uh, Peter Lyon was like that he's a short guy Mm. and then he'd write a shorter board and so photos like unless you're like a big lanky dude with your knees up around your head like it, it's harder to make the photo look like mm. it's a massive jump. It does make a difference. He was, I mean, Ollie, what is big dude, but and he rode big like one yeah. six five unit boards. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, 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 yeah exactly like, right. You know, yeah. and he's like, I think you know from memory, like I'm five eleven, so he's probably like six two or something like that. Mm. You know, and yeah, so much power. So I remember like finding out. You know, he was riding one six five boards in the pipe when everyone else was running like fifty fives or something. Like, yeah, yeah. What? Actually, I, there was a time when I was actually, I think it was end of the like ended tread days, but you know, I think um, I was riding a few uh, tsunami were making these snowboards, right. New Zealand ones, yep. and I was riding a really long board then too. You know, mm. and it was like, especially like in springtime, it's great because you got all this float. But then, you know, you started to try and spin to win, you know, and yeah. um, and then it was like you definitely noticed that the uh, spin weight, you know, like it, you were sort of, yeah, turning pretty slow. Especially how heavy boards were back then. Yeah, right. Yeah, exactly. You know. Doing that testing, like, so, you know, I started doing the snowball testing for Burden and they'd bring out, this is when they were bringing out these, like, flyweight cores and all this mm. crazy new technology and, you know, different insert patterns and lighter bindings and boots and stuff mm. like that. And so this stuff would turn up often in the springtime it had been part tested at Mount Hood but it would turn up and then you compare and it would be like yeah way lighter and you'd like it's like your skill level would just take this massive jump because you know spring's a good time it's a bit softer you can sort of you know take a few risks and push a bit harder or whatever but then also we'd get on this new gear and it was like oh my you know I can't even feel it on my feet whoa you know like I can just spin it's sweet that time in snowboarding was interesting like they sort of everyone went to make things light but it just didn't last yeah exactly like foam core air core captains just 100 you know, percent. yeah yeah they the, um burton made this uh ranger board that was called fl fucking I mean, light nice. yeah. you know and they were they were they did i remember like hitting one rock and it just like shattered like fiberglass just mm. exploded upwards kind of thing yeah but then there was that balance you know like dylan like you know and i become you know we were sort of we we're best mates and so we were both riding burton he had a tendency of like being real strong, but slight. He'd snap a few tails, mm. whereas I generally I'd smash them from hitting rocks. But I wouldn't like I was probably driving a bit more forward weighted. Yeah. But we, we had we had a bit of a run where we you know we we snapped a few boards on the. But it was really good because we were testing. You know we knew that the as the more input we gave them at that time, especially you know in southern hemisphere, as mm. times when no other riders are on this product. So we'd like give them heaps of feedback, do heaps of hours. And so then, you know, like, cause you know, like trying to get the longevity out of the boards and stuff as well, you know, it's pretty cool to, and then awesome to give that feedback and see that translated to the next year. So while we're talking about Burton, um, mm. how did, 
So we sort of you sort of got him meeting that uh, original tester guy back in the yeah, day. Yeah, Andy How Lats, did that yeah. Evolved? Did that evolve to you being sponsored by Higher Ground? Or? Yeah, yeah. So uh, yeah, exactly. So um, Seamus was in charge of the testing program for Burden, and um, so I, you know, and also Andy and JG. Um, JG's only just recently um, stopped working for Burton, but he was the main tester from the uh, an old Burton movie called Scream of Consciousness, and he's on there testing different boots and gloves, and so he's been doing it for years. So yeah, um, it was initially through Seamus, uh, but Dylan's bro, and then they just started coming to coming to me directly, and you know there was we actually got quite a big testing program. We'd have a few a few boards and a few boots and stuff like that. So yeah, it was just directly with the states. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then I kept kind of improving, and then got to the point where yeah, um, sponsored by high, higher ground in New Zealand, and then soon after that, that was when I actually started going. Uh, um, went to J- Japan once or twice as a kind of grommy, and then from about '95 started going to Whistler, and then that became my sort of northern hemisphere base, and then that's when actually I, Dylan and I ended up sort of at about the same time being on the like on the Burton and international kind of B team. Okay. And that was, yeah, sort of right. transition from so there. So how was it dealing with Guy? Like, you must have a couple of crack-up Guy stories. Yeah, Guy, yeah, like, Guy, Guido. Yeah, him and, uh, and Cheryl, like, they were always yeah. a good time, you know? Like, uh, you know, the God, the Godfather. Yeah. Fearless yeah. leader. That's what <laughs> we used to call him. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, he was good. He was mm. a good, you know, sort of team uh, corraller of the troops. Mm. And that was actually, yeah, so Burton started, you know, snowboarding was blowing up in New Zealand. And, and then they had, uh, you know, uh, Wes Fab and um, JC, but mostly Wes, he was uh, Burton Australia. And mm. so, you know, New Zealand and Australia was pretty tight. So they would, they would come over and they would do uh, combined sales meetings. So the Aussies used to love coming uh, here, yeah. you know, look at all the new product, plus go boarding, and we had all the team together and that kind of thing. So, yeah, that was always, uh, um, you know, pretty cool. Actually, a good, a good story from Guy was when this was all happening, um, when it was New Zealand, Australia, um, you know, um, uh, sales meetings and that, and all the crew were together. Mm. Um, quite quickly, uh, the Bledisloe the um, rugby um, sort mm. of comp got involved. And basically what ended up transpiring was, because it was always happened to be around this time, that um, the winning team, whether it be New Zealand, Australia, was um, allowed to issue mullets or <laughs> some form of haircut to the losing team. You know, And this was often um, undertaken at the bar on the night. So I remember, and that was when actually, you know, like, probably, you know, around the sort of subculture kind of time uh, mm. and that sort of thing, and might have been TARDIS before that. And it was kind of like, um, you know, the bledders like kicks in and, you know, someone, you know, someone wins, someone loses, you know, like one, it was actually, it was Phil, uh, Wils, uh, Phil, Phil Erickson. So he was the, you know, the founder of New Zealand Snowboard Mag. Mm. Um, New Zealand had um, like, unfortunately lost that year and Aussie won. Uh, and he had this really like that his that his uh, that his partner at the time you know really loved. He had this kind of Beatles kind of hairdo, like it was looking pretty kind of you know mm. sexy as Mrs. Thought. And um, and then uh, and then sure enough, they turn up at the bar and I'm like, yeah, you lost, bro. It's time to pay up. You know, yep, we're gonna give you know, and like, right, we're giving him a haircut. And he goes, oh, you know, maybe tomorrow. Oh, okay, he tried to avoid it, and they just turned up with a pair of clippers. And so we just went into the pool room at the bar and flicked the clippers on. I was like on your knees boy and then just you know and then he ended up with this rude ass you know like you know you're well tanked and like issuing a haircut you know like you don't want it to be flash so they ended up with this heinous mullet as missus was off it 
you know, and then <laughs> and vice versa, one another the next year, you know, we won, so same thing, like, oh, mm. nah, cool, oh, if only you had the clippers, and guys like, we never forget, <laughs> you know, sort of thing, so that was always pretty, uh, pretty funny. <laughs> and did you go to any of the Cake Bake Off? competitions yeah went to a few i wasn't sort of um i was sort of mainly with that japanese coaching that i kind of you know intimated like ended up doing this japanese coaching for these guys and that um i was pretty much always kind of locked into queenstown because i was always working went went a few times toward you know toward the end i guess of, of the cake back offs and it was always a really good good sort of setup. guy and those guys have always had a really good connection with oha Mm. so you know that was always you know actually we started doing a few of the sales meetings at uh, the Burton sales meetings at Ohau so then they'd combine that with a cake back off there's this rad going there now yeah. and you've still got the Burton posters from the 90s and yeah man like, yeah so yeah uh, yeah, and, and uh, there's a lady there um, who you know who works there, and she always remembers everyone's name. I haven't been there for years, and I'd, I'd turn up, and she'd just be like, is it Louise, I think? Mm. Um, she'd just be, boom, never forget a name. Just Man. amazing, you know? Mm. And yeah, so, and that's kind of, yeah, it's a really, really cool spot there. Oh, how, you know? Mm. Good. You were, were you involved with the Mount Potts trip with the, when all the internationals came yep. out and shit? Yep, I came there when it was Terry A, and all, that was the Burton A team mm. photo shoot. Mm. So yeah, we were all on the new gear. Um, it was springtime, so it was mostly just quarter pipe. Uh, and that kind of thing and you know just kind of hanging around and a bit of testing on the product so mm. yeah that was uh that was good times actually mount pots so you didn't drop your, one didn't drop your board in front of terrier like dill does nah <laughs> oh that's right yeah yeah that was pretty uh, funny yeah that was that was that was pretty cool that was a good time i mean but i had a um subaru um legacy gt at the time and i remember harsing on that road and um going past you know because i was just you know next corner next corner i went past the era one the lodge mm. and i remember just nearly in, in nearly just absolutely clearing this um ford like you know this water sort of thing <laughs> you know it's like okay taper it down you know yeah yeah, yeah. the old gravel road they can rally snowboard rally yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah well you mentioned dill we've mentioned him a few times and yeah, old Dill Button. Mm. So, um, yeah, I intimated, you know, a connection with Dylan. And, you know, so I started doing this Japanese coaching. And then, you know, Dylan was, was over there as well. Um, and so, yeah, we just kind of, you know, all the next kind of years just became these back-to-back winters uh, working for this Japanese, this Japanese-based company called mm. Wintech. And, yeah, and so they would engage a local um, language school to do the English lessons, which kind of became our home, our base and then take uh, we'd take them up the mountain and so it became you know this transition between you know because dylan's always had a real um like affinity with wanaka but he was actually you know renting and living in queenstown mm. um and while we were doing this coaching and then we you know he'd go back north to his family house and and then um soon after would would travel together to uh you know to whistler yeah. And so we just used to do these back-to-back winters, but it was so cool. At its height, we had probably about 40 kind of Japanese kids all learning to snowboard mm. and stuff, and like they all just, you know, stars in the rise. They just wanted to be pro snowboarders. That yeah. was their dream. They want to learn English enough to communicate and then be awesome pro snowboarders. So we'd, like, teach them to jump and, you know... You know, right? And what know. was their ability level when that? Like, they could all snowboard, so you guys were fine yeah. tuning them. Sort of Occasionally, thing. would have an almost kind of beginner, and then we'd have to sort of take them and sort of. But it was pretty. It's a pretty awesome program, you know. Mm. Like some of these kids became full pros, you know. Like, mm. uh, and they came up to you know, you'd see them years later. Oh, remember me from such and such season, sort of thing. But often, you know, like because so the Japanese mentality is like 
a little bit group think, you know, low unemployment, everyone shares these kind of things. But, you know, like snowboarding is a real individual sport, and you, you know, like learning to, I guess, and like all sports, if you've got good muscle memory or you can assess what you've done wrong. So with a minimum, the, the, the coaching will be for a minimum of two weeks. But some of these kids have come, like, have rich families and come, say, for like a month or two. Yeah. But we just kind of reprogram them a little bit to just get them to think for themselves and really kind of focus about, you know, like not go, what did I do wrong, coach? You know, more like, hey, I, I think my arm was in the wrong place or I think, you know, mm. thinking for themselves. And then once you kind of just kind of restructured their thought pattern in a nice way, slightly, then they just, you just see them change, mm. you know, or they'd, you know, feel like they weren't really progressing. And then you'd show them a video that you shot of them, you know, a month later and they were like, yeah. oh, um, you know, a month earlier and they're like, wow. But it changed their life, you know, like yeah. most of the time for the good. Sometimes from a, you know, I think the parents would like spawn, you know, send them over here to study English that was their cell and go snowboarding and then hopefully they'd come back, you know, their little uh, overseas experience, they'd come back to Japan and then they'd run the family business kind of right. thing, you know. And yeah. But they didn't want to do that. They wanted to be a snowboard instructor and just travel the world. So, yeah. like, you know, we might have messed a few families up. Sorry about that. <laughs> <laughs> but it's all about following your dream, you know. Mm. So. But, um, because, I mean, that looked, from the outside <laughs> looking in, it looked like you and Dill ran pretty tight. Like, you shared the same sponsors, shared yeah. the interview. And- yeah, it kind of just became that we, yeah, I mean, it was probably through, you know, um, yeah, mutual association through our sponsors. But then also, like, you know, I really wanted someone to partner up with this, um, you know, this coaching, someone that I knew and that I trusted. And Dylan had the benefit of speaking Japanese. You know, and so that was like, oh, you know, you're perfect, and you know, you're good with, you know, good with coaching and stuff like that. So yeah, that's we just ended up sort of not really looking back after we initially formed that kind of partnership with this mm. Japanese company, and then that allowed us to, you know, get get back over to Canada and you know do the thing. So but it was pretty cool. You guys shared the same sponsors, but got on them differently. Yeah, 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 yeah. We did. Yeah, like, we did like, get on them differently. Totally. Like as a Grom read in the magazines, it looked like a fucking. It just looked too perfect to be like mm. that, you know. Uh, yeah, like, especially yeah, because you know, like the likes of you know Nixon had that a close association with um with Burden, um you know, and um, Gravis was an offspin, um you know, like I guess Analog. You know, Vulcan was kind of like a separate company, but kind of similar. Oakley, you know. Mm. For myself, I almost t- like Oakley as an example is like those are the best goggles. That's who I want to ride for, and I basically told them that I was like, mm. you know, I want to ride for you guys. I could probably get a but you know get hooked up with someone else, but you're who I want to ride for. Mm. And so that kind of you know came about, and then you know, and same um, yeah for a few others that association to Nixon actually, you know, um, the first guy I met, you know, at Coronet Peak. Burton sort of uh, testing and then he um, you know became Nixon um, my friend and I a Canadian guy we actually travelled from Canada down to um, Encinitas in California and Nixon was like we got to see like the first briefcase of like of factory oh, of yeah. Nixon's you know the first round of samples you know and it was like this whole oh you know yeah. like open this magic kind of case and there was like three or four watches you know and you know and that was what that was his dream you know he's like i'm going back to school i've got this idea and then that just went crazy you know mm. so yeah and you know going down going to the vulcan um main vulcan factory in cali as well just go and they're just like here's a bag fill it up go nuts and this was just wow. like we've made it God, you know like God, that'd be like kidding the candy store oh bro like <laughs> unbelievable you know like i almost like 
you know, not coming from much or whatever. Like I always sort of almost felt stank. Like I'd sort of be like, oh, you know, oh, you know, is, you know, what's over there? Oh, those are the seconds, you know, like those are the kind of ones that we didn't produce, you know, or actually I quickly sussed out. Those are the ones that are one-offs. Mm. We've, we're not doing a factory run of those. Oh, okay. So then you knew it was like really, really hard to get, yeah, yeah. you know, so like you just kind of wanted to rock that <laughs> stuff and then, you know, as many stickers as you could fit in your carry-on bag. So when you were Vulcan New Zealand, were yeah. you the sole writer? Was it, it must have been... I think for a small amount of time there. Dill. Yeah, and then Dylan and then, came on. Because a lot of people associate Vulcan now with Will... Like mm. is probably is yeah. quite prominent. Like, 100%. did you have much to do with like Quentin and Will and those dudes? Yeah, well? yeah. So you know, well, I guess you know, Quentin was probably I'd say similar era to me in in the mm. writing, and then you know, Will and TJ were like that kind of next wave of crew. You mm. know, we became friends, and you know, and through you know, No Park, and then Snow Park, mm. and that kind of stuff. Um, but you know, and then uh, Vulcan kept evolving and branching out. You know, at my time, it was um, it was um, streetwear. You know, mm. and they were they were doing occasional jackets, but they were trying to be smart about it at that time because they right. didn't want to improve. A lot of their riders, you know, were still maybe burden or they had other mm. outerwear and other hard goods sort of um, companies on board. So then they didn't want to. But then eventually, you know, as as they are now, they're you mm. know outerwear boards. You know, mm. they just kind of became their own I beast. I that Ollie Brunson was actually on Vulcan too. Yeah, o- Ollie was actually. Uh, I think he was one of the originators. I mm. think that's also I saw a little bit on him you know mm. and then talk to marcus because I, I you know i think mostly the volcom actually was already um coming out of aussie you know mm. um seamus did it a little bit but you know in its infancy you know the um probably the amount of sales that occurred in new zealand same for for burden you know there's far more population in new, um, australia mm. with far like with more loot you know even oakley and aussie those guys were on like a salary way before we even were on any money at all yeah you know we would just got product you know because you know you imagine how many pairs of sunglasses oakley's oakley sells in aussie yeah. so then they've got a bigger marketing budget you know yeah. like i guess you know but we'd uh always you know take just you know this our little kind of click if we were in competitions and there was like aussies or kiwis or whatever we'd always have this kind of like yeah yeah we, we always kick their ass you know sort of thing even if they get more more loot than us or more swag than <laughs> that's us, just to make them yeah. feel good yeah yeah <laughs> yeah 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 exactly we're a bit more grassroots so uh yeah, yeah classic while we're on sponsorship how did the move to burton international come about kind of just um doing photos and i guess i'm just trying to think you know a few comps like i think i did all right in a couple of early sort of scene comps in in canada and i was working really hard because stan came over stan hill came over and we were shooting photos so i was i was working really hard to try and get in there yeah and i guess you know like it's evolved to what i do now in real estate but it was like i kind of had to drive a few things you know like Mm. i remember being in some reasonably strong discussions with the like you know connecting with the team manager being like please you know i need new product and i need it to be the next year's boards so Mm. that i can shoot these photos and then i can potentially get into the international magazines because that's how they did it all the you know at least burton all the other companies as well the writers are always you know it takes you know a six month at least to get the photo and then it gets published Mm. kind of thing so you want that photo in the mag to be the late the current or the latest model Mm. so then you know managed to convince them that we were worth the investment and then got the next year's product Mm. so then that's also quite good because then the photographers are like i want to shoot you because i know that if it's a good photo and you're on the right product then the mag will Mm. it all sort of links together because new zealand's in a bit of a weird 
Yeah. You've got one foot in one and one foot in the other. A hundred percent. Yeah. And yeah. I mean, so, yeah. And so some of the companies would do like small batch releases of the next year's product. Yeah. Because mm. we were in the window. Because otherwise the opposite would happen is, you know, all the the shops and, and the um, wholesalers would like order the stuff well ahead of time. But if it was a pumping season overseas, their stock would kind of get depleted. Mm. So yeah, we were kind of in that sort of crossover zone. Um, plus, I just you know it was mostly going to Canada and being involved in that northern hemisphere scene. Mm. And I actually got pretty tight with some of the you know Burton you know Canada kind of guys. One of my you know good friends to this day actually he he married uh, Steve um, Harris. He married um, Laura Worley. So uh, there was well, Laura and Krista uh, Worley. Queenstown OG right there. Yeah, yeah, hundred percent. Yeah. yeah. So the 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 uh, Worley sisters they both live in Canada. Um, Laura Harris now is um, you know the wife of my good friend Steve, and they run uh, the Circle Snowboard Shop in, oh, in yeah. Canon. Bit of a plug, yeah. and um, and also they do Circle Kids, and that's like really smart. They're both awesome people. Laura's really like you know I, I went there when I was hitting Mount Baker and that and um, for a bit of training and you know just yeah really good smart retailers and you know like big growth industry you know everyone likes buying you know mm. stuff for their kids especially snow, snow orientated yeah. so yeah they're, they're pretty good and then Krista's also uh, just down the road in Squamish so right. they're you know sort of like they became kind so. of like they're Whistler locals you know yeah because so, were they born and raised Queenstown as yes, well yes they were yeah yeah, yeah. Their, their dad was a local policeman oh right yeah yeah so you know like he knew me on uh, you know both sides the, the good the good local boy and the dodgy local boy <laughs> <laughs> So uh, well, while yeah, we're cool. talking about Whistler, what was this Vulcan family story you were mentioning? Oh earlier? yeah, so um, you know, a few kind of you know we sort of become the sort of semi locals in, in Whistler and that you know, in the heyday sponsored and that. Anyway, um, it was a West Beach Classic um, snowboard competition, and I actually made the finals. But I had um, my ankle was quite sore. I was getting like kind of um, I, I call it bone spurs, like impact kind of um, like injury. And so it was. I was real bummed out because I'd made the finals and I was like pumped because it was a reasonably big comp, a West Beach Classic. And then I was like in the pipe and I was like, man. But my leg was absolutely killing me. So I was like, well, you know, just think I can't compete. And told the guys and they were like, oh, you know, that sucks. But look, you know, here's your little sort of kit for you know, as if you're in the finals, here's your bib that you get to keep. And and uh, and also here's a you know a ticket to the after match kind of um, gig, which was at the Wizard Bar and Grill and Penny was playing. So. yeah yeah and i was like yeah kind of thing but i had my crew right like a couple of my mates in there i think it was dill no nah, dylan wasn't there it was a couple of just my local canadian uh, crew and you know two local boys and then and then his visit one of the visiting cousins of my mate and anyway we go along and you know hopefully we can buy some tickets at the door of course it's sold out and so i'm like man this sucks you know i'd love to go in but you know, I just want to hang with my crew. So I thought, ah, screw it, I'll just sell my ticket and I'll buy a box of beers for the boys. You know, it's bloody loud enough, we'll just hang outside. Because you can see through the glass, you know, you can see them in that. But, you know, it's not the same as being in the mosh pit. And um, and I was like, ah, sweet. Anyway, sold the ticket, bought some beers for the boys, which was outside drinking. And, uh, and, you know, I had my, like, all my Vulcan kind of stuff on, Spono'd, and, you know, and was one of the jackets that pretty much the team only get. And then I was like, and I knew they, I could see that they were had all their Vulcan stuff on. I knew that Pennywise, they were sponsored by them. And so I was like, yeah, sweet. And I had some stickers, of course, team stickers. And I slapped a couple of diamonds on the window, mm. you know. And I was like, you know, kind of bang. And then, you know, like it was, I don't know, like 10 metres away from the band. And he noticed. And he was like, and I was like, you know, yeah, like, you know, Vulcan stone sort of thing. Like, mm. 
you know, awesome. And he was like, looked at me and he was like, and he pointed at the sticker and then pointed at his t-shirt and he was like, you know, are you on the team basically was the signal. And I'm like, yeah. And then, you know, again, like head to toe Vulcan kind of boy. And he was like, you know, and he whipped out and he goes, fucking stuck his head out the side door and he goes, you on the team, man? I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I was like, I actually had a ticket, but I was hanging with my boys. And he goes, how many of them are, how many are you? I was like, four. And he goes, go to the front door, I'll let you in. And so we all went in smuggled our beers in and then the, my mates were just like yeah oh, so that was the family kind of kind of vibe i was just like you know same you know the, mm. those little snippets of like you've made it yeah, you know yeah. it might not make a hundred grand a year but you know that's those are the things that are priceless oh that's so you know? cool yeah 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 yeah. Dudes. Fuck. yeah yeah and then you know, i think you know we ended up hanging, hanging out a little bit afterwards and that kind of thing you know smashing it with them fucking pennywise mine you know like I swear about 1995, like, every snowboarder I knew listened to, like, Pennywise and yeah. FX and all of 100%. That yeah, yeah. So that was, uh, that was a real cool buzz, you know, like, that was, mm. like, that whole, you know, that, that uh, yeah, that family kind of vibe, you know, so, so it was oh, pretty rad. so cool. Yeah, yeah, it was. It was a pretty cool story. I still can't, you know, you guys, I think it was like, like, you're not paying for any drink, like, I'm buying all the drinks, like, <laughs> you know, like, he's, I still can't believe that, mm. you know, like... You just you sold your ticket and you bought beers and we still got in. <laughs> awesome. I remember like Vodafone uh, like did this uh, you know because Telecom used to sponsor the um, Winter Festival and so but they'd do these little like kind of guerrilla tactic marketing sort of thing and so they had a couple of house DJs at, at Surreal or whatever you know like sponsored by Vodafone and you could only sort of get in by text and it was chocker and I remember it was actually like my mum and my stepdad and one of my cousins was sort of in town and that mm. and the same thing like you know it was fucking packed and they're like we're at the door they won't let us in and I was just like oh cool you know the old hey cool like you know I'm sponsored by these guys like you know and you know he goes how many I was like yeah uh, yeah one two three four five you know sort of thing yeah those guys, yeah that's my mum and dad you know oh yeah I don't know, and you come you know that that kind of you know the velvet rope ropes part yeah <laughs> <laughs> Uh, while we're talking about um, Whistler and stuff mm. um, oh, your, yes. your part in the dream because yes. it seemed like there was a lot of that was Whistler yeah yeah it was actually stuff. old Millsy yeah Richard Mills yeah that was cool so that was I guess you know that was when everything was progressing from you know getting photos to video to getting a video part you know and that you know that's even you know uh, photos are hard work but it's even hard work so but yeah Millsy was into doing the filming and so same as that connection with Stan for photos and you know um and you know he's real you know he's a good writer and real enthusiastic and yeah we just started shooting pretty much and then uh getting a bit of footage and you know trying to find that kind of you know bit of a mixed bag and figure out what you want to do and is there anything from that part that sticks out that you're super proud of you like fuck that was I yeah. think, uh, yeah, I mean, you know, the good. we got some good footage from up north, that was pretty cool, um, I'm just trying to, like, do that recall on that, on that, uh, on that part, just stoked to be involved, mm-hmm. and, you know, pretty thankful to, to Millsy for putting it, you know, like, that was when it was like, you know, yeah, whatever you're dreaming, sort of, literally, you're dreaming, you know, like, yeah. and, you know, like, you just had to sort of do it, you know, he had, um, you know, a good connection in Whistler that, you know, with his buddy, um, yeah, that's right. Because he started putting the like, bits together in Whistler, and then kind of he came up um, to Awakuni and uh, actually from Auckland, so down. Um, and then we sort of, I guess, finished it off. Mm. It was like a 
switch seven there from like one of the two row comps is pretty cool and you know a bit of other stuff um and you actually are hiking out in the back country there's like you know like a um underflip or something like that that was always pretty cool doing the out the back missions yeah you know like and you know dig and jump i so i always had i guess uh an organizational element like you know we're going here we're doing this you know i've scoped the spot out this mm. is what we're going to do kind of thing i guess you know that was just you know like how i ended up doing it because i wanted you know the tank crew to come together and mm. do something you know so um yeah no that was always a bit of a hot you know pretty cool thing mm. and then we did a bit of a road trip in that as well um through i don't know if that was for the yeah that was for the dream and we also actually um because you put it together i guess over a couple of um seasons we also went to um we did a road trip with uh jake coyer me legs i'm trying to think who else came with us as well a few other crew jamie bassett and um we went to like uh, interior bc and then to calgary oh right yeah yeah we got so. this gmc van that's right because we were trying to get a camper but campers were all expensive so we were just running this gmc van and then we just like hire a little like a stay with kind of crew on the couch or whatever it is you do one time we got this um like uh, near jasper we got this um you know this motel room but it had to be just you know two of us or three of us and then you know waited until like the crew and you know, managers had left for the evening and so then all of us pile in there you know like <laughs> yeah. six or eight of them you know like you know, leggy sleeps in the van or whatever, like, mm. you know, good times. Now, you mentioned Jake Coyer, and it's someone I forgot to um, bring up because he's a bit of a Queenstown OG too. Like, yeah, mate, yeah, he when, is. When did Jake Coyer get on your radar? Jake came on, uh, actually, we just had that, we just had a quick, quick, uh, you know, quick uh, toilet break, and then um, I just was flicking through your awesome collection of old magazines, you know, mm-hmm. like, and actually, uh, before coming in here, uh, you know, to do this with you, um, I would always um, kind of, um, I would always line my timeline up with snowboard graphics, mm-hmm. so I actually jumped in and looked up some of the old Burton graphics, and I'm like, okay, so I was on that board that year, so, and because otherwise, I've, it's a bit of a blur, yeah. and so uh, that mag was from, like, 2002 with Jake you know going hard in the um in the black home uh, park so mm-hmm. yeah about the you know about the um i guess late late night late late 90s to early 2000s and that's when jake started to come across he was on sts for ages and actually i remember talking to him and he'd always been real tight and they'd supported him and i remember him sort of having quite a strong um um, opportunity. I think it was Oakley. He was switched to Oakley Outerwear, and yeah. you know was what was trying to take that next level because he was like real powerful rider, doing real well. Mm. And you know he got you know a really good part for the dream. And I remember him being he was really pained by the decision, you know, because he knew that he had to kind of go to an international level. And yeah. you know STS had always supported him, so it was really heavy, weighing heavy on his heart. Mm. And also Jake, you know. For those times, like he'd always been, he's a real kind of quiet dude, and some people would like it almost come across as he's but up himself or whatever, but he yeah. wasn't. He's a real humble guy, but he was just very quiet. Yeah. And so you know, like he just kept to himself and just let his let his writing speak for him, you know. Yeah. And um and so yeah, that was always cool. I always really liked you know like and that was, I guess, probably at that time where you know like probably into the two thousands when you know I started maybe kind of going you know body doesn't last forever snowboard career is not going to last forever and so you know i need to you know i need to learn like through my snowboard career i like learned to interact with media learned to communicate with other people through sponsorships not just being epic writer it's you know mm. communicating and you know media kind of elements and then i was like okay you know there's there's life after snowboarding yeah and so but and that was really cool watching people like 
Jacob and, you know, and those kind of crew just, like, really, like, blow up and become, you know, and Will and those kind of guys and Adventure Snow Park and just watching this this next powerful wave of kind of riders come through, mm. you know. and um, Corey you know, had a good run. Yeah, he did. For a long time. Yeah, yeah, real good style, mm. you know, yeah, really, really onto it. Hung in Canada, those kind of guys, um, you know, saw the riding on the wall and got snowmobiles because it was all about getting into the backcountry mm. to get those, you know, the, the jump requirements got bigger and bigger and bigger, yeah. you know, and so, um, you know, and you want about to not sort of, you know, have to land on an icy landing all the time. Mm. So, yeah, the next natural progression was sled sled land, you know, mm. and getting a snowmobile and heading out the back and stuff. Mm. So, so there's cool. another, another rider that was raised by Coronet. Yes, yes, you know, exactly. As long as AJ was saying. Those interview like that mountain just teaches you to ride. Oh yeah, yeah, totally. You yeah, know? yeah. You're you know you're in the air as much as you're on the ground, you know. Mm. And so yeah, that kind of skateboard park, um, you know, um, up the mountain. Mm. So yeah, hundred percent, you know. And yeah, he was like one of that kind of, I guess, probably that second wave of STS kind of crew that came up. You know, it was a full grom, you know, and so, yeah, raised by the raised by the pack. Yeah. And so yeah, and then you know got to a point where he was you know become, you know, probably more of an adult than a grommy, and you know. Yeah. was real strong and yeah had a really good really cool skate style you know so it was awesome right and while we're talking about him i'd like to talk about queenstown in the 2000s because mm. it was it continued on that vibrancy from the 90s that we mentioned earlier but it seemed like um you know there's like a downtown rail jam every couple of weeks yep. and you had like subculture and pedags running around doing like the music thing yep it was all really well intertwined and i think it's was like the peak of like vibrancy as far as snowboard skate art yeah for sure all of that stuff it's like it's almost like the 90s were like i think a few people not hoping but they were like oh you know it might be a fad and this kind of Mm. thing but then yeah and then it just built and built and built and never looked back Mm. and then i think yeah that probably the um the 2000s was when it become solidified you Mm. know and you know through music and through general culture and things like that and yeah and so yeah the likes of subculture and you know P Diggs was around, and they had the mm. the original band was actually a combination of Lawton Quarter and uh, P Diggs and a guy Dan who's now um, who's now also in Shapeshifter, and that that was called Soul Charge, and oh, their right. first gig was at the original Voodoo Cafe on Beach Street. You know, yeah. in the evening, yeah. you know, there was the cafe that had the wee log burner in it, sort yeah, of thing. Yeah, that was awesome. Yeah, I loved that era of Voodoo Cafe. Yeah, it was really cool. And so, that, and then obviously everyone kind of broke, you know, broke, broke off to their different sort of factions, and you know, Shapeshift formed, and you know, and then also Cora from you know Lawton Cora and, and his brothers. And um, so, yeah, that was really cool that kind of era. And then subculture came about. Actually, can't forget before that is actually Tardis. So um, Scotty Stevens, yeah, started so Tardis. That's what I was thinking when I said subculture was it's Tardis. It was Tardis, yeah, yeah. Subculture did come later, actually. Mm-hmm. So Tardis was this little, you know, Doctor Who like tiny little bar that was like packed out. They used to they had this uh, competition because Scotty Stevens, good businessman, and so he was real smart. He had this. Uh, it was called the Sugar Daddy competition, and so you know, like at the start, Wanaka Queen sound the same. That start of winter before the mountains open, everyone like towns packed. It's that quiet time, mm. like April and May. People's businesses were closed. It's, you know, easier to just mm. pay the rent, not pay you know wages. But anyway, at that time, it was pretty quiet in town and people saving pennies. So Scotty started this thing called the Sugar Daddy competition, which was you know it started started out like probably with a you know two or three grand prize pool but then blew up to be like 15 it was things like you know um you know uh 
100 bucks worth of taxi vouchers that, you know, sugar daddy don't walk nowhere, you know, like 100 bucks worth of, you know, like, you know, uh, you know, uh, condoms and, and tampons, you know, sugar daddy got to get laid, da da da, you know, uh, um, an old, an old bit of a Dero car, but enough to do you for the season, you know, rejoed mm. and warranted, you know, a new snowboard, you know, boots, and like, there's just this awesome pack. And how they ran this comp was like they would pre record TAB, um, like, uh, horse races. Mm-hmm. And then you would drink at the bar, and they'd you know stall it out. You know, it started at twelve, and then eventually it was one about one o'clock. And every beer you bought, you got like a, a chip to go into this uh, kind of horse race, and you'd stick it in the box, and then they'd accumulate. And then just before the race started, they'd draw these you know, names out of a hat, kind of thing. And then you'd get a, a, a horse name, and then you know, and then if you won that race that night, you go up on the board to the main draw. So you know, like it was ingenious because this bar was packed every night because everyone wanted to win this race and so and you know it'll go for the month and then you know at the end anyone that didn't register you know before 10 o'clock the night of the big race um they got scratched off the board and then they do running races around the cow lane you know like my my, my missus at the time you know she was like she's a bloody good runner and so she actually and she had issues little so she had her big boots on you know and she goes oh, i'm gonna bring my running shoes and she was like oh i don't know if i will i was like you bought your bloody shoes girl just do it and she mm. like smashed everybody so she got a spot in the race mm. i was in i remember leggy won uh, one of the running races one time so he got a spot so there was this big thing and then also dylan and i and especially uh, myself as i knew uh scotty the bar owner so what i'd do is i'd come back and scotty was into snowboarding so i would give him first pick of all my um all my gear that i had to sell to you mm. know fund myself for the season and he you know i wanted a jacket and a pair of, you know pair of pants so for four years i didn't pay for a single drink at that bar i was a bit broke you know a uh, snowboarder but i could play a little rock star kind of life because i got um to shadow my mates beers mm. because i'd like you know swap a, and he'd he, he just was he goes look mark up on beers real good so you know here's a thousand bucks worth of product so i'll give you two grand's worth of um uh, of beers and i was just like great so mm. literally for four years, man, me and Dylan didn't pay for like I just would always be barter. Scotty would just go, oh, man, you had a big couple of weeks. Uh, I guess I need to pick a pair of goggles up off you or something like that. So we'd have mm. this awesome barter. Yeah. And, you know, right. even now, you know, I meet him in town for a drink or whatever, and he goes, you know, always like you and Dylan. You're always supporting my bar, you know, like <laughs> getting all your crew in. But, mm. yeah, it was pretty raucous, man. Mm. I, I mean, I walk past that place now, and I can't believe it was a bar. Like looking like how yeah. the fuck was that a bar? Like, oh yeah, I'm um, like I uh, yeah, it's a little Japanese kind of restaurant mm. now. So yeah, exactly. How was it a bar? Like it just like ended up rammed. Mm. It was good times, you know. And so that would have been when Fugberger was in Calais yep. as well, and shit. Exactly eh? right. Yeah. So yeah. Fugberger was just up the road, and that was when there was quite a few actually. What was uh, BOA, one of the original snowboard shops? Once mm. that kind of moved out, that actually became a bar, Debajo. So mm. the Cow Lane was kind of the main hub of these mm. kind of you know proper like nightclubs and and that was before they had closing it you know like it would be two or four in the morning if you wanted to keep going you know go tardos to fergberger yes exactly 100 percent cow lane shuffle bro that's what it used to be called the cow lane shuffle (laughs) (laughs) and so did you um kick it with Diggs and those guys a bunch too yeah yeah we become you know we're still we're still good friends you know Mm. and so yeah we used to sort of uh kick around together um a bit you know he sort of he was in and out because he was um he was um living on thompson street and he was um one of the first uh remarkables park crew so mm. at that time you know when snowboarding was here to stay and 
you know, um, big wheels turn slowly, but the likes of nzski.com were like, okay, you know, and then now, you know, you look at the, mm. the remarks park now and it's awesome. So mm. that was just in those first few years of it. And especially P-Digs from his back, skateboard background was, he was just pumped, you know. Mm. So, and then they started, you know, there was a couple of trails that they designated, you know, um, as park trails, which are mm. still that way today. Yeah. Um, they, they did a half pipe for a while, are but you... often be snowed in. Yeah, I mean, I, I still trip on that now. Well, I, the mm. earthworks are still there. I was like, wow, that yeah. used to be Remarks. It's pipe. always a bit of an art, you know, finding a good spot for a, a mm. pipe. You know, classic is um, orientation to sun because mm. one wall's always baked and the other one's, you know, and that's shit kind yeah. of thing. And then the other one is snow loading. And so the Remarkables one, because it was in their bowl, it was just super, you know, even whipping up a little bit of wind, you'd go there and there'd be, you know, like a big wind drift down one side. Yeah. You know, because you've got to find, you know, there's those sort of, elements that need to all add up for the pipe to be good so were you involved much with remarks park or riding it or anything yeah so i was sponsored by com for a while and then towards i guess i sort of started transitioning out of you know competing and trying to or i guess being a pro and then i actually worked uh, for the mountain and um for like a year or two and um in kind of the sponsorship arena organizing mm. some of the events like there was um the one event um downtown was outside red rock that was all organized by um a, a person different to me and then i took it over and i ran it for a couple of um, years and what i actually did was i moved it from outside the red rock and i stuck it outside um uh, lone star oh yeah yeah and that was that big rail jam and i got a bit more scaffolding sort of we did the scaff proper scaffolding setup mm. and that was when they actually made the proper stairs so i think that was uh yeah it moved to be these orange stairs this big like a proper mm. proper down rail and a few other things um and, and that sort of thing and it was cool because we actually televised it into both the, um we pushed uh, the live screens into both of the bars lone star and the one next to it Oh, yeah. You know, because it was getting bigger and bigger, and I sort of wanted to have this kind of fusion, yeah. um, you know, linked in with um, Sofitel, so the judges were sort of positioned, you know, in one of the hotel rooms, you know, which I got mm. to use later, <laughs> is that, um, yeah, so that was really cool, so I did that, and then on sort of, on uh, mountain events as well, and sort of coordinating for sponsorship, they, mm. had, they had some long title, I forgot what it was, on mountain coordinator, alternate sports coordinator whatever um but yeah and then that was at that time was when i actually um you know moved into actually uh you know my i guess my next career which is now real estate mm. and so i was you know started you know i didn't want to uh you know i, I didn't want to enter competitions and be last I yeah. wanted to retire at the top kind of thing. Yeah. But, uh, you know, and the body doesn't last forever. So at that point, I was sort of starting to work for the mountains and then this, this uh, mm. through a good friend of mine who's sadly passed away, Smithy. Um, he was a good snowboarder dude as well. Mm. And, um, yeah, and so his dad ran um, one of the real estate offices in town. Oh, right. So that's how I kind of got into, tr- oh, flowed right. into real estate, I guess. So I want to talk about that a bit yeah, later yeah. on. Um, but I was sort of wanting to talk a bit more about sort of the birth of Remarks Park and yeah, Park yeah. Life because there was this era and I talk about it in quite a few like Heiner and Heiner's yeah. episode and stuff of um, like this 2000s era with the Darrow crew and Park Life where yeah, that's right. it was quite a big deal and were you were you stick around for that behind the scenes a bit or i was kind of like behind the scenes a little bit like i guess they kind of part life was starting to grow and then i guess you know like yeah we did some um sort of did some tweaks in the graphics and kind of worked with it mm. and then i guess that was you know and actually um heiner and um browner and those kind of guys um 
they were actually because especially like Hine, his his Japanese is amazing, and mm. as they were kind of rising up, you know, before they were, you know, like full time pros, I actually got them because um, you know um, doing the Japanese coaching because we had so many Japanese kids mm. and we didn't want the ratio to be really bad, so I kept bringing in kind of more local pros. Mm. And especially those guys coming up and, you know, Nick was great because he spoke Japanese and things like that. So it was really cool. And, you know, they become, you know, kind of, kind of friends. They were mm. kind of, the Dero crew was, I don't know, don't get me wrong, I like like to have a bit of a party, but they used to get like quite on like... They were pretty go, wild. Yeah, eh? get on the verge <laughs> kind of thing, go pretty mm. hard. I mean, yeah, yeah, like there's... Uh, and I'm still good, you know, uh, um, Mark Anderson and those kind of crew, you know, like mm. I know them all, Heath and, and that, and all pretty I cool. just interviewed Heath a uh, weeks awesome it actually would have been in december awesome yeah, yeah that's his great one's, his one's a banger yeah yeah no doubt i'm yeah, sure yeah. like and it was really cool but i probably i guess you know i probably was uh i guess you know just absorbing and admiring from afar because mm. you know i'd had my time being a little shit like when i was way young mm. and i sort of was like you know didn't want to get in trouble i guess yeah plus you know like i was i was probably just starting to kind of flowed into that space of like okay you know snowboarding's you know i'll always love snowboarding and extremely grateful for what it provided me but then you know the only constants change uh, in life Mm -hmm. so i was kind of pretty excited about maybe doing something else and i was waiting for that to come to fruition Mm -hmm. and also i guess that the dero way that they're doing things it's it's a certain period of your life like you're right. It's kind of a young man's game, that one, 100%. how they were doing it. Like, yeah, 100%. You know, and rad that they did it, but fucking hell, they were gnarly. <laughs> it was kind of like looking at the whiskey videos. Like, yeah, exactly. Oh, it was gnarly. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, um, yeah, totally. And that time, did you um, kick around with the Snowboard Workshop guys much, like Dean and Rob? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I became uh, good mates. Um, it wasn't quite the... So basically, um, I became sort of friends with Rob and started doing... I actually started my snowboard my tuning career my ski tuning snowboard tuning career i started working at brown's um snowboard uh, ski shop um and i was uh, i just got my license and so i was the van driver doing the deliveries so i did that for a couple of years and then after that i started working um for uh, nz shred changed ownership and then also rob started working in the tuning area of nz shred Mm. and then i think actually what he did was he split that off as a separate business Mm. which was a good move for him and then it kind of became the snowboard workshop but you know still operating through nz shred and then i started working with rob Mm. um and and i know how was that oh yeah yeah you know kind (laughs) of i would i'm trying to think of a couple of stories about rob right now but i think probably there would be probably little might be one of those things that upon later um sort of thinking about it might be one of those ones that might be like hey maybe just cut that out (laughs) you know like (laughs) well what's the what's the most (laughs) awkward position he put you in Oh, he was always pretty good because I was like, no, maybe I never let myself be exposed. But I did always, you know, like when things were getting a bit crunchy, I'll just say it, whatever. Like um, things used to get a bit crunchy with the shop. And like we had the spot, like I think it's still where it is now. But the um, there was no toilet in this building specifically. So we had to go around the side, you know, with the with the key to use the, you know, building toilet, which was, you know, like probably 200, 200 metres away. So when we were, the, you know, it had a few beers under the belt, Lady Rob just went into the, uh, you know, um, into the uh, uh, the boss's office and just whipped it out in the sink and just <laughs> <laughs> went for it with the sink, you know? Cut, you know, like, yeah, I think he jokingly said he'd left a few pubes there, you know, just to sort of, you know, like mark his territory sort of thing. So I don't know. <laughs> then uh, the, uh, it, was, it was Rob and his brother, you know, like the odd um, sort of like, you know, like, 
you know, the old, like, silent but violent sort of massive fart. And then, like, hey, come here, come here. I've got a really important question to ask you about, like, this, you know, this board that I'm currently trying to patch, you know. Mm. And so what do you think? And, you know, and he would just sort of wait to, for that expressional change on your face, you know, <laughs> once you'd realise what had just happened to you sort of thing. Yeah. You know, like that um, yeah. often, you know, just put, a, put people in this precarious kind of position just to yeah. see their reaction. I, I had um, a supervisor that used to crop dust me like that, eh? Sort of <laughs> be working on a patch or something, and he'd just show up and just start watching, like, oh, just checking out my, you know, looks good, and then continues, and then the smell would come up. I was like, oh, fuck. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, totally. Um, <laughs> I don't yeah, know what it is about workshops and farts. It's fucking... I know, yeah. yeah. I was all right because I was well conditioned before that. I, you know, as a grommy, I was working at the Cow Restaurant in Queenstown, mm. and they were like, you know, like pretty you know, debauched kind of crew there. And so that was quite good because, you know, like it sort of uh, elevates your tolerance for like awkward positions a little bit. Mm. You know, was that when that um, fuck? I remember the lady that owned that for a while, in the late eighties or early nineties, was kind of gnarly. Sandy. Oh yeah, totally. Yeah, yeah. Oh, she was gnarly. Yeah. But that's how I started there because, you know, like basically she was sick of like some whinging kid going, when am I going to get my food? And, you know, just took me out the back, stuck me on the fucking, um, stuck me on the freezer and gave me, he was like, here, do something. Gave me a pile of napkins. You know, if you, if you fold all these napkins, I'll get you a free, you can get to have a chocolate sundae, you know. And then so like come, you know, like the time when I was getting into boarding and, and that and wanted a bit more kit and mum's like, you know, we're broke, you know, I can't get it from, you know, for you. So go get yourself a job, you know. Why don't you go see that chick Sandy, you know, she'll probably employ you. So I became this kind of second uh, second layer kitchen hand on the, on the holidays when it was busy, you know. Mm. It was great. Mum trusted me and I'd just go down in the evenings and work from, you know, the six to eight or whatever and just mm. smash a bunch of stuff down and you know <laughs> roll some pizza bases mm. oh man we had some experiences there as a family yeah yeah yeah, yeah. i remember they um kicked us out once and my granddad was still eating his pizza <laughs> we need this table for somebody else yep, you know they're yep. like oh the normals oh we'll just order another bottle of wine great you can eat it by the f- you can drink it by the fire we need this table to feed more people mm. You know, yeah. Like, yeah, that was a good amount of misspent youth in the old in the cow. Mm. It used to be a sort of a little bit of a safe haven as well, underage, mm. and you know, but we'd be able to have a you know have a drink and you know mm. and that kind of thing out the back. I did want to ask about um, we sort of mentioned this before we came in on the mic. Um, you and Jude Bray were qualifying for the Olympics quite a few years ago or something. Yeah, yeah, we were. So, um, like I said, having to look at the snowboard graphics to orientate myself on a, on an actual timeline, but. Um, I guess you know you were at the first Olympics was uh, in, in in Nagano, so I think you said it was maybe it was at ninety eight or something. So mm. like leading up to that, like you know, I'd gone and um, you know a few. So that was like you know um, International Snowboard Federation, and then you know and then FIS, mm. and so you know that FIS kind of thing was a bit more. You know there was a bit of politic around it. A lot of war between the two. Yeah, the yeah, there was because you know like you know probably in hindsight you know um, International Snowboard Federation you know. Um, probably should have been the faction but you know that that coordinated the snowboard side of it but mm. you know what is it FIS Federation International to Ski yeah. like you know I guess they were kind of the crew but anyway so you know wanting to potentially go it was myself Drew and actually I think Pam as well was for the racing Pam Bell, yeah. Pam Bell for the racing and so um, at the time there was only a certain amount of spots you know and like I think you know they were only taking the top 30 Mm. And then that would also be divided, and then you know your maximum uh, amount of entrance per country was like four, so it was all about trying to get the spot. And like um, the last competition I did, you know, I was 
doing all right i think is in the top like 40 45 and then you know there was one more chance to qualify and that was actually um in um um in chile like so it was our southern hemisphere but it was the last like competition to try and qualify Mm. and so both Ju and i went over to compete in that to try to qualify for a spot you know, male, female spot. Yeah. Um, I think, yeah, the bib, I've still got the bib actually, and I was, it ended up being like, I was ranked 37th. So mm. I needed to be in the top 30. So that was kind of the last kind of, so I got pretty close. Mm. Um, but then interestingly enough, it might have been, you know, like even if I had secured the spot for the country, I might not have been the most, um, you know, the, the best possible candidate for it at the time. Like, you know, mm. maybe it was Dylan, you know, kind of thing. Mm. But yeah, got, got pretty close. It was a bit gutted, mm. you know, but, um, um happens yeah but uh speaking of Ju, uh if i remember rightly you were at new zealand snowboarder at the time when her iconic cover shot got put together that's right yeah yeah that was a cool that massive cliff jump like um you know like you know at the time you know had no love lost between you know phil and i but i was a bit you know like i was working my butt off to try and get photos and so mm. naturally you're gonna be like oh you know and round it you know round mm. in uh in uh, brighton at phil's you know and he's got mm. the light board you know the light box on the table and a few slides kind of thing you know sort of floating around and you know not like you know keeping them secret you know from, from us but you know anyway you're having a few beers watching the rugby game and sort of leaned in and was sort of looking around. i was like oh you got a few photos there man and then he was like he there was uh they were all Jew photos because i think she had the interview in there at the yeah. time so he was like getting her photos together and i just like you know i'd like to think i've got a bit of a bit of a good eye and i just leaned in and was like oh yeah cool you know i'll pick my favorite eight and i just was like and he was mumbling something about still not having a cover selected yet mm. and i sort of said oh well, i mean you know it's Jews." Jew's interview right and then I just went, went through and then I was like oh I was like mate there's your cover and just put that in you sort of like you know oh yeah I'll take it into consideration but you know <laughs> but I was like yeah sure enough mm. but because you know like there's a lot go, I was gonna say goes you can generally tell like you know it's something especially like actually you've got a manual magazine sort of skateboard picture on your wall but you know like when you're shooting a photo and you want it to be a cover, you've got to have the writer in the in the top third of the frame, but not right mm. at the top because you know, like it needs to. Yeah. When it back in the day when it was all on the magazine shelf, it's got to you know, it's got to look good. Yeah, kind of thing. There's definitely a few elements that go into getting yeah, right. getting that shot. You know, I mean that, like I say in other interviews, um, like yeah. that interview was so pivotal for women snowboarding in this country. Oh yeah, it was when awesome. Everyone, Jew was. was. Like, She's yeah. a fucking animal. You know, yeah. like, she'd smash a bunch of the boys, you know, like, and it was just mm. really good. And I think, because, you know, like, there was a massive amount of growth in snowboarding for women because, mm. you know, like, the, the ability, that learning curve is really high, you know, mm. and it's just like you're only, you know, um, sort of held back by your own sort of, uh, you know, ability and, and the potential to believe in yourself. Mm. Yeah, and Jude's a real strong, massively strong skater. And, yeah, really gave that confidence to, you know, to those women to go, go and go hard mm. you know she still cleans up that bank slalom and tc yeah mate these days. yep for yeah. sure good yes luck. Good she luck does eh? up. <laughs> yeah yeah exactly yeah. and then you know and then and that, that kind of like set up that um you know that you know that next wave again as well you know like mm. it's it's pretty cool to see those kind of things and to be talking mm. about this you know our our history i guess of our sport mm. and then you know then to look forward um to see that you know that those next waves you know it's just that it keeps growing you know well i don't think you'd have a zoe Sinnott without a Dubray. no i agree like, with you it's 100 percent. you know and then we could even probably say like pam bell 
Yeah. Was, did you know Pam? Yeah, yeah, we we got on uh, got on really well. I actually still connect with Pam. She's um, really? be, yeah, so she's been an architect, a really successful architect mm. in um, Wellington for well over ten years. All oh, right, because I mean, yeah. she was our first snowboard Olympian. Yes, yes, which she is was. A pretty huge deal. Oh yeah, massive. Um, and then she did. Um, she had. Uh, she did. Um, Pam Bell's. Uh, the, these. Um, she also had a coaching uh, setup. Mm. Um, Dylan and I both um, came and worked for Pam when she is had that the snowboard academy. Yes, snowboard yeah. academy. That's it. Thanks. And mm. so Dylan and I would come over and do the camps um, with her and so you know we had occasionally I'd um, you know have a few like you know kind of grommies um, uh, Louis Prucker he was mm-hmm. one of them like he came and he was like this like hard out grommy from Nelson you know mm-hmm. and he must have saved, saved his pocket money beans and you know family helped him get down he was just like chomping he was like want to learn backflips like, yeah. like literally in the first two minutes of meeting him <laughs> you know he was just pumped you know, so yeah, it's it's pretty cool. You know, I think uh, you know we we do well in a lot of other sports, but it's really nice. You know, like saying before this interview to see you know what it's culminated in. We've got mm. some of the best snow athletes in the world. You know, oh, I mean, you look at um, what just happened at X Games, and like, yeah, we'll use Zoe as an example. Like she just cleaned up both big oh. air and slope style with yeah, the pick. most technical runs that have probably been seen. In yeah, yeah, man. Style. Like, you know, I've not had the yeah. you know the privilege of meeting her yet, but, you know, it's just pretty awesome. I actually watching them competing in the Olympics and just going, wow, so mm. cool, you know, seeing that layer upon layer and then, you know, and uh, and then seeing um, Mitch Brown, who, you know, mm. actually was part of the academy for a while. Also mm. him and his sister came over and joined me in, uh, in Whistler and we did a few jumps together. But um, that was my proud moment, bro, was like, I coached the coach, you know, like, it's just, you know, yeah. I coached the coach. I've yeah. never always been a bit funny back in the day about someone who was like, you know, a bit maybe frothing over meeting me. I always felt a bit awkward, but, you know, it's nice to sort of come full circle and have a bit of, um, you know, be be pumped to meet those those guys, like, you know, they're mm. at the top of the game, and I think, uh, well, shit, yeah, it's great. I mean, Mitch is, uh, shit, I mean, snowboarding's been his life, I mean, fuck, remember, yeah, man. he was the grom. Yeah, hundred you know, percent. Yeah, I totally. Yeah, he was the full Grom, and you know, yeah, and you know, we were kind of the senior of the team, so you know, take him under the wing, and you know, try and teach him a few good habits and a few bad habits. Yeah. You know, and uh, always had a lot of uh, massive respect for his family too. Mm. You know, his, his uh, mum and dad always hugely support them both, and yeah. Um, yeah, that was really cool. You know, and it's nice to. That was when I was you know moving on to I guess different a different scene you know so it's almost nice to know that the uh, snowboard kind of um, you know snowboard game in New Zealand was very much in good hands mm. um, so yeah it was cool well, I think that's an example of the dots being joined yeah yeah you know, like 100% so we back to Jew and Pam Bell and yeah yeah you know to Mitch to Will to you guys and then before you guys Ollie Brunton and then to fucking Ewan and those dudes like it's yeah yeah for sure right it's all connected. sort of yeah it is all connected you know and always got a lot of, and I think that's the thing, you know, I really took from snowboarding was, you know, you know, you got to believe in yourself, you know, like, I mean, it's all cool, you can get some support, coaching, you know, get yourself strong and that, but that's the key is like a lot of stuff, you know, it's, you know, pretty fucking scary, you know, dropping mm. into something and trying to do, nail something that, you know, you'd like, especially these days and massive like props to those guys, like, mm. you know, more technical tricks, much higher consequence, you know, sort of mm. thing, but you know, like, Back in the day, even if it was a big, you know, big laid out 
single backy or whatever, you still shit yourself. Consequences still so there. You have to, you know, same as like you know paddling out into a wave that's like the, one of the bigger waves you've sort of been in, or dropping into a skate bowl for the first time. Like it's it's, it's believing in yourself and over mm. like overriding that that you know that potential consequence and you know removing that sort of fear element. You've got to do it anyway. Yeah. Sort of thing. So um, yeah, no, nah, it's cool learning to believe in yourself. You know, and that sets you up for the rest of your life. Yeah, and speaking of the sort of current generation, like we talked about Zoe, do you know or have you uh, like Tian and Cool and yeah, you know, in in passing, um, uh, you know, met Tian a few times and mm. done a bit of riding, and you know, he was uh, racing in the uh, in the bank uh, back slalom and stuff as well, mm. and um, you know, he's won a few of the quest ones. You know, yeah, he's managed to get around Snowball Corner. Um, yeah, it's always and, an interesting and, one, and then Dickhead Corner afterwards as well. Yeah, 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 he yeah. Snowball Corner. <laughs> Then that fucking corner afterwards, the dickhead corner. Call it. <laughs> well, it quickly becomes uh, from snowball corner to snow chunk corner. Mm. Like a few times, I've ended up with a bit of a laceration on the face. Don't get me wrong, mm. I love a good snowball, but I think you know. But also, I'm competitive by nature, right? So, mm. like, I want to. You know, I'm not going in there to come last, mm. sort of thing. So it's kind of annoying uh, when someone just like you know half the size of this table that would you know uh sitting on uh you know like gets kind of dropped on your head you know like yeah. i was joking about dressing up one time as a you know as a baseball player with a spiked bat you know like sort of thing <laughs> so yeah. but uh all good times I, had, I mean that is a fun event though yeah, i don't yeah. think i've completed a run technically yet at that event. <laughs> there's always some real good get-ups always real impressed with some of the get-ups i mean so you know sometimes it's a bit last minute Larry with my get up but uh, mm. it's not always been the most aerodynamic I remember I got one it was like a blow up one of those it looks like you're a, a, um, an ostrich, a ostrich racer and it's like a little blow up with a wee fan in the back you know so it's not that aerodynamic and then another time was like um, my like a, like a ghillie hunting suit you know oh, yeah. like the full looks like you look like a piece of jungle yeah kind of thing and i was actually up on the ridge line um thing just chilling out before the race and this someone comes up for a pee and i'm just laying against the rock kind of you know just chilling out and then i sort of like you know and this woman you know looking for a spot to have a wee you know gets a bit closer and i was kind of like hey you know hey nice day and she sort of jumped a bit she goes oh i didn't i thought you were just a piece of the piece of the uh you know piece of the bush so i like that competition because like the the person that wins the snowboard is not the fastest. It's whoever has the best costume. Yeah, it's and, it's a yeah, it's, and it's that, both. That's pretty cool. Hundred percent. Right? Yeah, yeah. That yeah. yeah. A lot of the emphasis is put on the best mm. uh, best uh, costume, mm. and then you know, I mean, there's an awesome trophy. They've got one of those big doughboy um, libtechs mm. with a, some antlers on it, and you know, you get your name on it and that kind of thing. It was awesome. Mm. You know, the trophy factor, but um, but then yeah, a high amount of weight um is put mm. on the um on the dress up element. So, I won best costume one year. And I couldn't fucking. I was, oh, I was hyped. I, I went as a tank. A tank? Oh, <laughs> I remember. I was about to have a stab at either the tank or there was a, a deep sea diver. Yeah. One yeah, of those he, guys he was as well. After. Yeah. So, I think he dominated after that because mm. I think he's just like, this is this his whole. He starts working on his next costume mm. like straight away. Yeah. Like. So I've fucking. So I've known Amy for a long time. Yes. And she knows I collect boards, and it was a Jamie Lynn that year. Jamie Lynn's my dude. Oh, yeah, yeah. And she just like, sent me a text. She she sent me a text, be like, you better fucking make sure you have the best costume. <laughs> and wouldn't say anything else. Like, Are oh, you going inside a uh, trading? Yeah. And I was like, all right, well, I better make sure I have the best costume. And so the maintenance boys at the hill helped me build this fucking tank. And it was Sick. fucking... Like, I'm so glad I didn't fall, because it was broken ribs material, and I'd be like a turtle on its back. 
Oh, but, yeah, uh, true, and, true. And then, like, it wasn't even wide enough for my stance. It was fucking pretty <laughs> retarded. It was pretty random. It looked good. <laughs> I remember going around that first snowball corner, and it's just the donk, 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 and like, ah, Tank's doing his job. Yeah, 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 totally. <laughs> I remember that um, that guy out who went after you with the deep sea diver, mm. and he had, like, the classic round hole to look out of, but mm. he had made a head to make cut a profile hole out the side because you know you're standing sideways on your mm. board and I remember one just you know direct hit and someone had just like lobbed this little snowball in, and it was just it clogged his view oh, so no. it was like really struggle street and you know like it's like a big like you know it looked like mm. even with paper mache it looked pretty heavy yeah but yeah. uh yeah there's always been a few good um uh I what did uh, I remember Brown Browner's um costume one time was like it was sort of like this one piece like grey he was a um um a hammerhead shark Oh, yeah. And he just had a pool noodle, a pool noodle with some eyes on it or something that he'd sort of stretched into this like one piece like leotardy kind of oh, grey costume, sick. you know, like and, and a fin on his back. So you know, like it's just it's all in that create yeah that mm. create creativity element coming out, you know. Yeah, yeah, it's oh, great. No, she's a good times. And speaking of Bank Slalom, um, you yeah. were probably one of the only Kiwis that's actually made it through a very iconic Mount Baker Bank Slalom. Yes, yes, indeed. So um, that was, uh, you know, like, uh, you know, um, I kind of like to think I've made a, a few through through the time, you know, like got into other things, but make the odd comeback, you know, mm-hmm. like uh, I got stuck into real estate and then, um, you know, actually had a break when I switched uh, companies, went back to Canada and, you know, ended up shooting a bunch of photos then actually um, and doing some, some video. So that that was cool actually with, uh, with Hutchie. So I got a little spot on the mag, and then um, and then again um, changed the kind of lifestyle and did a bunch of bank slaloms in, in New Zealand. One like the you know the TC one, the the Cadrona one that they had, and then the Coronet. And actually mm. Dylan uh, sowed the sort of seed with me, and he goes, "Man, you should you should try and get in the bank and the Baker bank slalom." And you know, for people listening, Which it's notoriously hard to get into. It is hard to get into. It's been going since '85. It's like one of the original snowboard competitions. It's pretty infamous amongst the snowboard fraternity. You know, like I mean, you know, you know, awesome to you know win it win at X Games. But this is kind of like if you, if you do well at the bank, you know, slalom, you sort of get you know kudos amongst the crew. You know, mm. and so um, yeah, change the scene and was actually doing feeling pretty good. 2,000 people apply to get into the Mount Baker Bank Slalom through a lottery process, but there's only 400 spots, and a lot of stuff's already earmarked for pros and things. Mm. So I entered this lottery, and then I didn't get it, but I also emailed them, and then I started calling them, um, you know, like the old movie, Shawshank Redemption. You know, the guy in prison just calls the book, you know, the library every, every week sends letters. So I just, every week I called them for like uh, two months, and then I kind of gave up or whatever. But anyway, they called me a month before the event was on, and just after New Year's, like hey, we've got a spot for you, and so I was like, "Yep," yeah. went over, did the race, um, and uh, and actually, this is uh, you know, I've got my little show and tell mate, bought my duct tape along, <laughs> so the trophy at the um, bank slalom because you know, old school, uh, you know, old school snowboarding synonymous with you know duct tape to sort of you know fix the bindings and that kind of thing. So the this has always been their tradition at the bank slalom is uh, actual real duct tape sprayed uh bronze silver and gold so i've got my uh third place from the pro masters the bronze duct tape 
Mm. Um, and so, yeah, that's on sits on my shelf pretty proudly. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, it was really cool. I mean, you know, like sort of, you know, I guess re- retiring out of competitive snowboarding, but always competitive at heart. So, so you know. How's that course over there? It's awesome. So it's yeah. down this like old kind of drainage ditch, this gun barrel kind of thing. And so the course varies every year. It's a real cool setup. Like it's, you know, when you go to Mount Baker near Seattle and in, in Washington State in, in America, it feels like a club field in New Zealand if you've gone to a club field. Mm. It's super mellow, family vibes, you know, just really, really cool. And so, you know, like, um, and actually, so, you know, and I go there and, you know, get, get my bib and you do a few training laps and that and just trying to, like, you know, see if I know any of the crew. But, yeah, and the course is real awesome. This guy, Pat Aberson, like, Abramson, like, he used to be one of the original ride co. And I'm like, oh, yeah. yeah, I'm like, hey, man, you know, it's, uh, I don't, hey, Pat, what's up? You know, you remember, it's Denny from, like, Queenstown. You remember me? You know, and he turns around and he goes, Danny Bevan from the 90s. Yeah, I remember you, man. And I was just like, I'm home. You know, because uh, so, I was in the pro, like, Masters. My yeah. big thing was saying that, you know, when Dylan, I was like, I was like, I want to beat Terrier. I want to beat Terrier. Like, semi-jokingly, you know. Yeah, because is that even possible? Like- um, Terrier, to this day, like, I'm 45, so I think he's a little, he might be about 45, 47. He's maybe a couple years my senior. But he always goes in the Open Masters. I'm oh, sorry, at the Open Pro. He never goes in the Pro Masters. He always goes in the Open, you know, racing against the Grommies. And he pretty much always wins. And he almost, all, he basically always wins the Switch race. They have a Switch yeah. race at the end, you know. Yeah. And so, yeah, it's super cool. Like, the course is, like, a little bit brutal, but, like, you know, just real, real nice banks. And they always make it slightly different. They try and, each year they try and kind of favor, because, you know, it's hard, like, you know, goofy, regular, you know, sort of thing. So they try and have it so it's kind of an even balanced kind of race. Mm. So who did you share the podium with? It was uh, Rob Kingwell won it. Mm -hmm. Um, And then Mark, um, oh, man, I forgot his last name, but he... um, he used to be a real. He was. A, he went to the Olympics and um, he was a racer, like a hard boot racer. Oh right. Um, and yeah, and he was like way up there in the Canadian team and, and that kind of thing. And so he was. Um, yeah, he was. Yeah, he was pretty close in there as well. And then this other guy um, who's like I can't remember his name. He wasn't like he was a bit younger than us. Mm. He must have been like because so pro masters masters is thirty to forty five. Mm-hmm. And then you go into legends after forty five, and so um, yeah, so it was it was actually it was a pretty cool race, and it was like this um, like we were all kind of kind of close times, but then it, like I kind of they actually what they do is they call like fifth and then fourth, and I heard these other two dudes like you know names called and I was like ah oh, yeah, they definitely beat me you know and they're pretty quick you know, and mm-hmm. so I was not expecting to end up in a third spot you know, mm-hmm. and so it was a bit of a surprise. Because there would have been some pretty legendary names you would have beat to get there. Then. Yeah, yeah, totally. Like, um, yeah, yeah, there was there was a pretty pretty good uh, kind of crew um, that were yeah that were all there, and it was all the old kind of pros, I guess, of my time. Mm. Um, I'm trying to think some of the French Canadian like um, you know crew um, that like run unit snowboards now, and um, you know those kind of JF Pelchet, like he was there, he was mm. racing, he was an old sort of Canadian sort of mate. Um, I think um, the Shorty's old Shorty's crew were there. Um, Kevin Sandalone was kind of there. Mm, like um, the Cummins brothers. Yeah, yeah, the Cum- yeah, the Cummins. Yeah, yeah. They actually, they they've often kind of won it. 
Mm-hmm. They usually pretty close up the top. Rob Kingwell's a real regular there, so he often does pretty well. Um, and um, who were those, like, Burton brothers? One of them, unfortunately, he passed away. Um, Anderson? Anderson, yes. So there was... Uh, Jeff and Billy. Yeah, Billy. So, yeah, Jeff passed away. Yeah. Um, you know, but uh, Billy, actually. So I got third, which allowed me to qualify for the next year without having to go through this lottery process. Mm. So they're like, you know, well, well done. We hope to see you back next year. And uh, and I was just like, yeah, man. You know, like, competitive by nature. I was like, well, I got bronze the first time, so I'll just keep coming until I get the gold. And then I, then I can officially retire again. <laughs> sort of thing. Like, another comeback. And um, so anyway, the second time round, I got uh, I got eighth, you know. Mm. So I made the finals, you know, like pretty uh, pretty pretty easily on the first day. But anyway, um, the so what what's this one? <laughs> Memory recall. This is I got bronze in two thousand seventeen. So uh, two thousand eighteen, I went back again. But Billy won that year, and right. he goes. It was really cool because he goes uh, when he you know won the the gold duct tape. He goes, man. He goes, thanks guys. He goes. Because I've been coming in here, he must have been, so he's, you know, he must have been in the late 30s. He goes, I've been coming here since I've been 18 years old, and this is my first duct tape. You know, like, so I was, like, pretty blessed after that to just go, man, like, my first race at Baker, like, managed to get in and got some duct tape, you know, so. that's awesome. You consider some of the names that go there, you know, the Cummins Brothers, Ranquit fucking harkinson yeah man yeah like yeah yeah, all the you know old dogs now but still like heavy hitters you know and and actually you know like actually um uh who's um uh yeah yeah there was there's still some pretty like um you know um travis was there Mm. you know i think he was i guess he was in the open because he's a bit younger but he might have been in the pro no i think he kind of had to go on the open because of his you know status at the time but um, yeah, like still real, you know, like quite new kind of heavy hitters as well. Mm. Like it's and like I said, it's it's this kind of legendary kind of race, you know. It's mm. not like it's by no means the X Games, but you know, it's hard to get into. It's all the crew. It's this real bank slalom overall. You know, you see a few more of them coming up. It's like mm. you get a few people who are just you know massive snowboard enthusiasts just go on the race. You know, you get families entering mm. that kind of thing. You know, What's and that? it's just like that whole for the love of the sport sort of buzz. You know, I think the bank slalom competitions that we're seeing show up now is sort of shown a resurgence towards the grassroots style of yes snowboarding which used to be half pipe and slope style but yep. now that shit's so gnarly that it's <laughs> kind of yeah bro know, exactly like, and, and it's like anyone can like you know the, well, use the quest one for example you can anyone can rock up and if mm-hmm. you've got the best costume, it doesn't matter how fast you are, you might yeah. win the best prize of the day. A hundred percent, yeah, exactly. That's pretty, pretty cool. It's, it's nice to have that and, um, like, say, Dogger's Mini Pipe Comp mm. is the antithesis to this. Like, it's great that there's this high-level competition thing. Oh, hundred percent. But it's also good to have this other side of it that's accessible. Yeah, hundred percent. Just for the sake of, um, you know, camaraderie amongst, you know, fellow mm. kind of crew and just having a bloody good time, you know. Like, that's how... That's how Baker started in 85, was they were like, we want to do this competition for snowboarders because no one's really into it and supporting it. Mm. And they were like, you know, there wasn't really any half pipe at the time. So they're like, well, what about like, you know, let's do a slalom. But then they were like, well, why don't we just make it with banks? You know, like, yeah, I guess, you know, up. yeah, same thing. You know, there's a few motorbike crew and that kind of thing. You want a few booms, mm. you know, and then, yeah, surfs up exactly. And then it was more just like a bit of a fun thing. And it just kind yeah. of blew up from there, you know. And and because uh, Mount Hutt looks like they've got a pretty good one too. Oh, um, yeah, yeah, that's right. I haven't, um, um, 
I haven't been up there. Richie, mm. I think Richie goes up there. He was, you know, he's sort of dominating some of the races here and there. Yeah, Richie Johnson. Though. Yeah, Richie Johnson. Yeah, yeah. and so uh, that's pretty cool. Yeah, because I was sort of chatting to him actually after the Quest one when it was more snow chunks and snowballs, and I'm like, man, I don't want to be a, I don't want to be a spoil sport, but also I do actually want to race without getting worried about getting hit in the nuts or the face, mm. you know, like. And so, uh, but he was almost kind of getting a bit over it then. But yeah, he would always go to the Mount Hut one because mm. I had the sort of kind of rivalry, you know. Yeah, yeah. As you do. So, oh, call it get a wee circuit going on. You got your TC one, your Mount Hut, and then yeah, man. Why don't, I might one. have to make another comeback. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we're still waiting for the appearance at the mini pipe champs. Yeah, yeah. You know? Wow, I have to. Yeah, it's actually um, actually. Uh, Robert was uh, Hollis was always um, you know pretty good. He sort of yeah, I'm coming down. Sort of mm. send the reminder, but yeah, I should diary note it in, and uh, it'd mm. be good to sort of make an attendance. Oh, it was awesome last year. Yeah, yeah, such sounds a great cool. turnout, and again, one of those ones where you're like, "Huh, we're watching four generations ride the pipe right now." This is fucking cool. Yeah, that's yeah, that's really yeah. really cool to sort of sit back and yeah, see it all, mm. see it all progress in that. So, uh, nah, it's good. Definitely pretty grateful for the old uh, snowboard, uh, you know, the snowboard years. Mm. You know, like you know, doing real estate now, and um, that kind of sets me up you know like um i guess you know that whole believing in yourself and mm. you know you in this industry you've got to have thick skin and a bit of marketing and you know and actually mm. and i've actually uh you know helped um you know helped a lot of um of the snowboard crew you know they've all moved into different kind of areas but you know it's always a, mm. a real privilege so and honor when they ring me up and asked for me to help them with some real estate stuff so know? what is it about real estate that was the shining light to oh, i don't want to go i don't want to what led you to there i don't want to go back to but i don't want to go back to school for like four years to have to retrain at something yeah. and so it was just like i'd considered it amongst other things and um one of my mates that I used to go around and you know have a few beers with and, and kind of hang out and was into boarding too he, he asked me one day oh you know have you ever thought about real estate because my old man owns a part of one of the um offices um in queenstown and i was like actually it was on the cards you know Mm. Um, you know, because it was something that you could at the time. It's quite involved to do your license now, but at the time it was, you know, a couple of weeks of uh, of a course, and then you can start out. And you know, wanted to stay in Queenstown. Wanted mm. to also, you know, pretty blessed to have snowboarding as a as a career for a while. And there was always something constantly changing. And there was always this kind of evolution and things. And so I didn't want to just. And you know, I'm son of a builder. And I was like, you know, hammer hand for a while, and I could have easily moved into the building industry, which is awesome. Mm. But also, I was just kind of like wanting something that was going to be um, quite different, not you know, constantly yeah. changing. You know, and uh, towards the end of my snowboarding, I started getting involved with some of the media. You know, like, you know, you know, media want you to kind of answer a question, and you know, like, sort of in a certain way, not just like yeah or nah. So mm. you know, I figured, hey, there's you know, poss- a, a possible angle here. So I'd kind of do that, and then I mean, you know, gift of the gab being in real estate is reasonably important. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, it just kind of was a national, natural sort of transition. Yeah. And um, no, nah, it's cool. I really, uh, I like it. You know, and it's worked out pretty. Yeah, well, yeah, it works out good. You know, same thing. I mean, you know, technology these days, you're always working if you've got an iPhone. So yeah. I actually find out, I find out going back up on the mountain to have a good time, and you know, it's so funny, man. Like you know, being a local and having a coffee or whatever and someone's like oh you know oh, that runs you know pretty cool and oh this runs pretty cool on the mountain and then yeah sure enough i wait for it and i'm like one two three it's like how's the market you know yeah. they can't resist you know so yeah, yeah. this fusion of like you know snowboarding snowboarding and like i said helping a few you know people that maybe were on their first home and they 
wanted to sell that to get something else and you know it's really awesome having that you know um former connection through snowboarding and mm. then you know getting to guess you know because i've been doing selling real estate for 15 years so i get to mm. bring that faction and i always sort of you know say to anyone you know i don't really care where you buy you know like it's all about sharing knowledge mm. and that was you know especially with snowboarding as well that was always the key thing you know like you know if someone come up to you and say oh you know hey man like how do you do that? Like you'd you'd always be not like oh it's my it's my secret jump I'm not going to tell yeah, you yeah. you know you just, that's what you do if you really they say if you want to gain knowledge first share some you know and so that's kind of although know, those dudes that would you know not share you'd be yeah. like oh what a kook a hundred percent all right they yeah. might they might be better than me but fucking what a kook yeah but know? not for long you yeah. know hundred percent well you know and I always look up to those people who had that really awesome attitude mm. or always really you know and you look at any athlete or a rock star or whatever you know like you know I deal with a few rich people you know like and some of them are like sorry but some of them are tossers like mm. they can, I don't care man like you know whereas I've got some people who are self-made and they're like they've done well for themselves but they're still grassroots mm. they still thank you know say please and thank you still treat the weight staff with respect that's, every human the same level that's a good you know? sign of someone when, when you take them to the restaurant how they are to the weight staff eh? yes exactly and I yeah. know a few people who have made big business decisions to work or partner with people or not based on not what they say at the meeting but how they treat the, the weight staff at mm. that meeting you yeah. know and that's yeah it's cool you know like um um yeah and so that's kind of me now i just kind of took away and do a bit of real estate and still get on the board you know yeah sweet so there's still got a bit of time to get up and go for shreds yeah yeah always a bit of time and yeah when i just want to get a split board actually even got into the split board and uh mm. i just like funny enough i bought one of those Suron e-dirt bikes and uh there just happens to be, uh, you know how like snowmobilings transition into timber sleds, yeah. which is, you know, basically a motorbike with a track on it. You can actually get um, these uh, sled tracks for these Sauron e-bikes. Oh, right, because Dix's does a whole lot of snowmoto stuff. And yeah, 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 exactly. Snow- similar to that. Yeah, yeah, similar to that. Like they're just getting the setup to sort of power up for it. Um, you know, because it's like, um, you know, these, these smaller bikes don't quite have as much power yet. But, you know, I'm showing you a photo. That's kind of what it looks like. Rad. Because, you know, like, the standard issue, these uh, e-dirt bikes, the Suron bikes, are, like, 4.5 kilowatt, but you can suit them up to, like, 8.5 kilowatt or go higher. Mm. Um, And then the the battery ranges are increasing as well. So, Mm. yeah, it's pretty cool, man. Like, um, yeah, just next next event. You know the dude that does the snowboard workshop now? Yeah, yeah. Tom, he's the man to see about splitboarding over in Queenstown. 100%, 100%, yeah, so yeah, I, I still get on with, um, yeah, still, uh, you know, even when I go in the bank slums, mate, still get the old snowboard workshop tune, mate, mm. racing tune, mm. so yeah, so uh, yeah, that's always uh, always pretty cool, and um, yeah, talk to Jay from Burton, and you know, probably oh, yeah. I'll get it, invest in a split board this year, and because mm. you know, back to that, you know, I guess we talked about the whole uh, grassroots, and you know, uh, bank slalom, and it's you know don't get me wrong i like i love doing laps up coronet and smashing it out you know i live really close to coronet mountain so i yeah. can whip out a couple of hours but i'm you know keen to connect with the crew and you know make a day of it and you know just mm. sort of be out in the hills i guess and you know yeah enjoying this thing the sport that's kind of given us so much over the years you know still mm. got a lot to give yeah it's crazy how much it's evolved too eh? oh it's wild man you know, yeah yeah it's, like, it's pretty epic Oh man, like like towards the end then doing some media stuff and like calling a few comps like for TV or TV stuff or whatever and like emceeing and that and it's just like 
far out like struggling to keep up with the con you know like that was like a bit of a sign i should just slightly you know you know sort of like bow out you know mm. because it was just like far out man how do you keep up with these tricks like mm. you know one two three you know like you almost mm. needed like a quick replay yeah like it's like it's so epic to see how much it's progressed you know mm. i mean you know like i remember watching motor motocross and moto jumps back in the day before back you know before flips and i was like it's only a matter of time yeah you know so like same thing now like you know quad you know quad spins quad you know quadruple flips it's pretty crazy and it's cool now as well to see like tian's a good example still spinning like a bloody you know like a like a top mm. but also styles still solidly in there like style never die mm. you and know like i think that's the great thing about i, I don't know like these generation like zoe tian and cool mm. is they do these big spins but they make them look like it's a 540 and that's and the difference awesome you know? know like you can have some like you know like robot style you know like in in mm. uh, you know perform the trick like you know like execute it but mm. you know styles what gives it that extra yeah. layer they you know like actually make because i for a while there i couldn't watch big spins it's like oh i just found it boring yeah but now watching like tian and cool zoe it's like yeah man i actually like watching it yeah yeah oh nothing you know seeing someone you know and also experiencing it you know mm. trying to do like you know trying to do a tweak or like bone halfway through a spin and holding it mm. and grabbing the whole way through you know there's those extra layers you know and it's yeah. just like yeah it's so epic and i mean so got i guess a bit of it's coming down to like you look at who's coaching them though it's yeah like, it was gonna happen 100 percent. yeah know, exactly and, and I, exactly and then they can sort of impart impart that knowledge on to the kind mm. to the next crew you know yeah like it's uh yeah it's, it's pretty awesome to sort of sit back and see how you know and you know seeing you know zoe like i think she's already smashed a couple of podiums in it like oh, i just was blown away when she walked away from this last eight game x games was two goals yeah that's right yeah and yeah in both slope, disciplines like yeah and that slope style run she did has to be the most technical woman's slope style run that's ever been done back to back tens eh something like that yeah switch back nine in it and so that's pretty cool to see her progression because remember she won the olympic bronze at the olympics with a mm-hmm. switchback nine but in the big year one hit now yeah. she's thrown that in her run like it's not even a I'm and that's like you know that's always the like the heart it's the heart you know like i mean you know there's hopefully some of your listeners are you know like you know hard out into it and others are just you know enjoying it but for the love of it but yeah like switch backspin is the hardest by miles like i always still struggle with with that one switch you back know like terrifying let alone yeah yeah you know? let alone like for smashing one out on an icy bloody park jump you know yeah that's a so, huge park yeah. jump too like, <laughs> yeah no it's really awesome but again you know yeah that sort of like thing you know style will never die Mm. you know it's always like kind of that you know and, and that's always i guess that you know we've talked about all these different riders and everyone's you know like thinking flashing kind of back through everyone's always had their own little take you know like mm. you can take you know I, when i was kind of coming up i'd always take little snippets mm. you know um about like i really like that element of that person's style and maybe i i'm not that stoked on that but but you know that's what you do you just take mm. those little tweaks and you you know you add it to your own kind of flavor yeah so, nah it's really cool it's cool to see how far it's come you know yeah and yeah i think we can uh you know sit back on the old rocking chair in years to come and see the even more generations yeah like uh fuck i mean where do you go from there but then we were saying the same thing at the end of the 90s where do you go from here yeah 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 exactly exactly (laughs) so yeah (laughs) they've actually uh in the last year i was gonna say a few years now but you know they've definitely 
it's uh ramped up you know like that tact from you know like i remember um uh, one of the dudes like doing some of the first like you know double underflips and things like that mm. you know and um the forum kind of crew and that and peter lauren whatever and then like how quickly it sort of moved from that mm. up to like you know these like you know 1440s and that like yeah. you know quadruple 1440s it's just like it's wild it's you know? most of a wildfire eh? yeah, yeah no it's awesome mm. Oh, that's my notes done there. Um, have you got any thanks, thank yous, and shout outs you'd like to give out, Denny? Yeah, I'll, I want to sort of say thanks to all the, um, yeah, or I guess my fellow boarders at the time for, you know, for, um, you know, like all us being family and sticking together. Um, yeah, and thanks to, you know, uh, you know, Burton overall, international, and, you know, Guy, Cheryl Alty, um, you know, um, even, um, you know, Seamus Butt for giving me a bleeding nose as a grommet. <laughs> um, and you know, and, and for um, my uh, brother in arms, uh, Dylan, we spent you know many a good season together and many a coaches meeting. Mm. Uh, you know, sort of having a good time in Whistler, and you know, yeah, the Whistler crew, and um, nah, pretty much that's about it. I guess you know, my mum as well probably is a big supporter. Um, yeah. You know, like letting me wag school and that. <laughs> <laughs> that's yeah, that's awesome. that's that's pretty much it. You know. Oh, before we move around Ingers, I forgot to ask, uh, so I'll ask it now. Do you have any advice for aspiring shredders? I guess my, you know, my um, my advice is probably, yeah, just do what, do what you love doing. And, you know, like, I mean, there comes a time when you've got to take it seriously if you want to, you know, excel. But also, you know, it's just a sport. Don't take it to, you know, don't. Actually, yeah, when you do start blowing up, just don't get a big head. Um, that's what I guess I'm grateful for for these uh, seeing these this new um, layer of um, of athletes. Everyone's really humble, which I think is a beautiful thing. That's one mm. of the blessings of being from our little country. Mm. Um, and yeah, just follow you know, follow mm. what you want to do, man. Like and, you know, and actually don't listen to anyone else. Just you know, because at the end of the day, whether you make a, a win or a loss, whether it's uh, in anything in life, you've only got yourself to answer to. Yeah. You know, there's a lot of a few times when I, you know, shouldn't live with regret. It's like, man, I, I shouldn't have actually listened to that person who's like giving their expert opinion. You know, um, I should have just really followed myself because maybe I didn't do something and I, I still regret it. Mm. Or I think, you know, if you if you follow through with what you want to do, you know, like you can always just, you know, turn around, and come back, and try a different path. Yeah, so I think that's that's it, and just yeah, mm. back yourself, you know. Yeah, that's oh, the key. Cool. Favorite rider. Oh, favourite rider? Oh, hmm. Terrier. Yeah, he was always the, uh, you know, yeah, he was, yeah, definitely the favourite by, by miles. Mm. Favourite mountain? Coronet. Favourite style? Um, free ride, man. Favourite board? Oh, favourite board, I'd say it would be one of the Harkins. Um, yeah, or the, um, that actually, that, what was it, that, um, that uh what was that flame one uh oh, the johan johan the johan yeah. you know yeah the johan the johan was pretty cool i'd have to mm. say that one favorite video part actually you know your favorite the uh the jamie lynn heart of gold i think was that in oh, the garden the garden yeah the garden jamie lynn keep me searching for a heart of gold yeah everyone should go and watch that yeah <laughs> <laughs> favorite gig favorite gig oh Actually, probably one of the early shapeshifter gigs down at um, uh, down at Subculture um, when I got to bring my mum. So, so smashing it uh, out some shapeshifter with my mum slash that gig that I told you that story I told you about Pennywise. Uh, favorite city? Wow, well, my home, Queenstown. 
Favorite trick. Favorite trick. Oh. I got. I used to like getting kind of inverted, but um, um, I have to say, uh, you know, solid back back one eighty with, with a blind landing is probably nice. my go to. Nice. Favorite board graphic. Oh, favorite board graphic. Um, um, there was another. Uh, the Mitchie Elbin um, had like that skate. Um, so the Gons. Gons. The yeah. Gons one was pretty much one of my favourites. All that flame. Um, actually, rewind slightly. The Terrier came out with that cat, that wild cat oh, on the base. Cat. Yep. Yeah. Yes, Brock cat. Yeah, that that one. And who has the best method? <sighs> Ooh, Kelly. Craig Kelly. Kelly. Nice. Craig yes. Kelly's my co-pilot. And final bonus question: What's the key to a good method? Actually, the key to a good method is um, is sort of preloading, getting onto your toes real early, so you're already tipped over. I reckon. Right. You know, like I'm sort of messing with uh, mountain bike jumps now and trying to get a bit of a whip together. And there's a real massive art to that. Especially, it's all good. You can whip it out, but getting back's the key. Mm. Um, is pre-tip. And then I'd always teach uh, counterbalance. You know, like you grab with one hand, and you're gonna if you're gonna push your board out in a certain direction, you need to be able to get back to that position to land again. Mm. So it's all about balancing with that other hand. You know, so like if you're doing a method and kicking out, you got to reach out with your hand. You know, so like kick punch. Yeah, exactly, kick punch. You know, you got to counterbalance and come back. Mm. You know, so that's uh, that and speeds your friend, man. Just go <laughs> go hard. <laughs> Sweet. Well, Danny, thank you so much for your nah, time. Awesome, brother. Appreciate I'm it. to have you on. Yeah, nah, cool. Thanks, thanks. It's been really cool. And I, I love what you're doing with the podcast, bro. Keep it up. Oh, thank you. Awesome. Mm-hmm.